tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie and welcome to Tip Today this Wednesday morning. Alison here with you until 12. Coming up on this morning's show, harrowing details at the opening of the Ashling Murphy murder trial. More deaths in Gaza. This time a hospital is the target. Calls for assisted dying for adults with a terminal illness and a prognosis of six months or less. Should penalty points be increased for bank holidays? Anti-social behaviour on the streets of Clonmel. More on rising Garda recruitment age and the parish rule in GAA. The Garda will keep us up to speed on what's been happening around Tipperary. Community activist Martin Quinn chats to us about Canon Hayes ahead of an event this weekend. An Alton Nesbitt, our gardening expert, will be joining us later on. So if you have a query for him, you can lock it in with us now. That's all to come between now and 12 o'clock today. Emma is standing by on the phones 1800-938-007 or you can text or WhatsApp 83 But first thing this morning, the trial is underway of the man accused of the murder of Ashling Murphy. 33-year-old Joseph Pushka of Lanali Grove in Mucklan County Offaly is accused of murdering the school teacher in Tullamore in January of last year. Reporter Andrew Louth was at the Central Criminal Court yesterday for the first day of proceedings and will be following this case. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Alison. Good to talk to you this morning, Andrew. Just give us a run-through of that opening statement yesterday and the role that that will now play in the trial's proceedings. Okay, well, I'll start with um, that uh, latter part that you said, the opening, uh, the role that the opening statement plays. So this is essentially the first chance for the prosecution to kind of talk to the jury. And it's important to stress that this opening statement is not evidence in itself. And the jury of nine men and three women was reminded by both Mr Justice Tony Hunt, the trial judge, and the prosecuting barrister for this case, which is Anne-Marie Lawler, of that fact. Now, essentially what it does, it gives the DPP the chance to outline what it is they have against that accused person, in this case, Josef Pushka, who denies the murder of Ashley Murphy. Now, uh, Ms. Anne-Marie Lawler, as you said, for the DPP, in that opening statement that she gave to the jury yesterday, she described, uh, gave great description on the death of Ashling Murphy. What is the state's case? Well, Anne-Marie Lawler said that Ashling Murphy was 23 at the time and had been working as a primary school teacher in Duro in County Offaly. She left school on the day of the 12th of January 2022 and went to some exercise along the Grand Canal in Tullamore and she was killed at around half past three that afternoon. Now, the jury was told Ashley Murphy stabbed 11 times in the neck, and Miss Murphy and the accused did not know each other. She said that Josef Pushka was from the Slovak Republic, and he had been living in Ireland since 2012. In her remarks, she said that it was the state case that Josef Pushka killed Ashley Murphy on January 12, 2022. Mr Pushka denies that charge. She said the jury will see CCTV evidence which shows Mr. Pushka cycling in close proximity to two women on separate occasions in Tullamore 
on the day Ashley Murphy was killed. Ms Lawler added that they will hear evidence from two women who witnessed the alleged attack on Ashley Murphy and how one described seeing her legs kicking as well as alleged features and demeanours of the assailant. Now, Ms Lawler also claims the area in which Ms Murphy was killed along the Grand Canal in Tullamore had a large overgrowth and was covered in briars and it's alleged Mr Pushka had cuts in exposed areas of his body, which Miss Lawler claims is consistent with leaving the scene. Now, we also heard a lot about Mr Pushka's movements in the hours preceding the attack and also afterwards. What can you tell us about that? That's right. So, uh, Miss Lawler said there will be CCTV evidence, excuse me, which allegedly shows Mr Pushka arriving at his father's home in Crumlin in the early hours of January 13th. So this is the day after Ashing Murphy died. He will be seen with a beard and then the next morning CCTV will show him clean shaven, being brought into an ambulance and to St. James's Hospital. Now it's here he was claimed to have been stabbed in Blanchardstown in Dublin the previous night. There was actually a stabbing in Blanchardstown on that occasion. And he was interviewed by officers from that area who then referred to him on the Gardaí in Tullamore. Now, it's alleged that he met with Tullamore Gardaí twice while he was in hospital. And the second time it came, he told to an interpreter on the phone. And the interpreter said to Gardaí over the phone, he wants me to say, I did it, I murdered, I am the murderer. And before later on saying that he did it, but it wasn't intentional. It's then claimed he later said, I'm sorry, I see a girl I never see before. I have knife I use for chain. When she passed, I cut her, I cut her neck. She panicked, I panic, and then asked, will I go for 10 years? Now, the prosecution say this evidence about how Miss Murphy died was not public at this stage. And uh, it was, he also pointed, Mr. Pushka, that is, to his stomach, where there had been this apparent stabbing and said, I do this. Now, he was later formally arrested and it's the state's case that he made up a pack of lies about the stabbing in Blanchardstown. And the prosecution also says that the accused admitted to murder confessed it to a level of detail which that person would know what happened. Now, all of this information was given as part of the opening statements in court yesterday, but was there actually any evidence heard yesterday? Yes, there was. So when the opening statement is finished, the case then usually proceeds to uh, what we call snaps and maps, so photographs of the various scenes and maps of different areas in which the, the which will be relevant to the trial. Now, the trial's first witness was a cartographer, and he travelled to the scene on the day of the alleged murder, and he provided the jury with seven maps outlining the scene and the areas involved, as well as CCTV. It's understood that there was 25,000 hours of CCTV which was harvested from the various areas involved in this case. And um, the court heard that um, it was a challenge to plot the map because of the scene of the alleged murder, and that was because of what I outlined earlier in the opening statements, the overgrowth and briars. Now, the court also heard from the detective Caroline Hughes, who took photos on the day of the alleged murder. She said when she arrived there, there was a crime scene tent erected. Some industrial light was needed to aid them as it was 7 o'clock in the evening. And there was a body of a female in the tent. And she also spoke about... 
uh, there was a pink woolly hat with a bobble and there were two blue night runners nearby as well. Gosh, and what are we expecting to hear then today, Andrew? Well, we are expecting to hear from more witnesses today, but as to the extent of the context as to what evidence those witnesses will be providing, it's not clear yet. Now, um, as I pointed out, we heard yesterday from uh, Anne-Marie Lawler, the prosecuting barrister, in the opening statements that the jury throughout the trial can be expected to hear the accounts of two women who came upon the alleged attack, while there will be Garda witnesses from the Midlands and the Dublin areas who will provide evidence of these conversations that were had with Mr Pushka in the days after Ashing Murphy's death. OK, Andrew, we appreciate you taking the time this morning. Thanks for talking to us. That's Thank Andrew. you, Alison. Thanks, Andrew. That's Andrew Laus, their reporter, who is reporting on that case, expected to last, I believe, uh, six to eight weeks, I believe. Could be wrong on that, though, but uh, we'll certainly be returning to it anyway in the coming days and the coming weeks ahead. But it's certainly going to be a very, very difficult trial. Uh, not just for, for her family, of course, and, and, and loved ones, but I think, you know, it's going to make for very hard hearing for everyone. Now, we've been seeing a few posts on social media this week about gangs and antisocial behaviour on the streets of Clonmel. One of our listeners, Tara, joins me on the line now. Tara, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Tara. Thanks for taking the time for us. Now, tell us what your experience was this week. What happened? Um, I was in a shop in town and just as I was going in, there was, um, say he was about 20 or twenty years old and he was kind of loitering around cars and all of a sudden four, four Gardaí came upon him and they were just chasing him around the town and he was arrested. And then there was an incident not long afterwards with six teenagers and nothing happened there. It was actually a member of the public that actually went over to to break that up. My, and was this all in the same day? All in the same day, within the space of, I think, an hour and 45 minutes. My God. And do, were the two incidents connected at all, do you think? Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. As I said, one was, I'd say, somebody in his 20s, and then the rest, the other incident was all teenagers. My goodness. How did that make you feel then walking around Clonmel? I mean, it must have felt very, maybe intimidating. Yes, but um, when you see something like this go up, so it'll be up today. The guards will walk around the town, maybe today, tomorrow and Friday. And then that's the extent of their, um, I suppose, uh, supervision, I suppose you'd call it. And then that's it. You don't see the guards on the town or on a bike or you know, pottering around until the next incident happens. Because there used to be so, a big guard of presence on the streets here. I can't, maybe yeah. I'm remembering it wrong, but I always thought there was, was there? There used to be. Yeah. But not anymore, not over the last three, four years at least. And that's when it, it's got worse because the mental health crisis in this town is absolutely shocking. Mm. So you have a combination of things, of teenagers being bored of mental health issues and things obviously boiling over. And it's no longer, like, back in my day, I'm I'm 37, if somebody was having an argument, it was you and that person having the argument. Yeah. Now it's you against uh, a whole cohort of people. Yeah, and you know, then it, it leads have, into social media then afterwards. Yeah, and, I was just yeah. about to say that, yeah, and then the keyboard warriors come out. Yeah. And then something that was 
small, trivial that could have been sorted out between two friends or between the parents or something gets blown into such an extent and then you just don't know what could happen after that. Yeah. And I mean, you know, are are you around Clonmel a lot? Yes, I'd be in town maybe once a day. And are you seeing kind of these kind of incidents on the increase? Um... Yeah, they they have over the last three years. And it's not just teenagers. As I said, there is adults. And it's not just men. It's women, too. There's been plenty of videos being put up of women um, full-on fist fighting in the middle of the the town. And then you'll see a Garda present for a day or two afterwards. And then that's it until the next incident. And do you, so, I mean, are these people under the influence or is it just pure aggression that they're just fighting? I I wouldn't I wouldn't know about being under the influence, but yeah. from what I can see it's um it's kinda of like a long standing feud or it's somebody's after getting in the middle of somebody else's argument that they didn't have anything got to do with and it's just all blown up. Yeah. And what's the reaction from, from well, from, from this day, what was the reaction from people around you that were walking the streets? Well, people were more concerned about the, uh, the, the one teenager that was set upon by five other teenagers yeah. instead of the, the 20-something-year-old being chased down by the guards because that's one person, you know, doing what he's doing and he's in trouble. Yeah. But then you have a teenager, no matter how good you are at self-defence, Five people on one yeah. is not a fair fight, as they'd call it. And, and as I said, back in my day, you'd have one-on-one. Yeah, and I suppose now the, the problem is people assume now that, well, there's a reason for this and they they know why this is happening, but that's not always the case. That young lad could, no, it, that could it, have been it, totally unprovoked. Exactly, and it's it's not it's no longer guilty by association. You're now guilty by social media. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't matter what you do, somebody could put up a rumour about you and it could spread like wildfire. And then all of a sudden you're walking into town and people jump you and you have no idea what it's over because you mightn't be aware of what's going around. And the thing is, for any bystanders who are coming across that, if you're seeing a gang of five, four or five young lads laying into another young lad, for some people they might be very slow to intervene because they don't want to be a target of that. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I find the the lady that did go over, because I, I read her post, um, I found it very brave because, as you said, it, they could have easily turned around and switched on her. But as she said in her post, if it was her child... yeah. Like myself, I have teenagers. Um, I would hope that somebody would go over and intervene because it could just take somebody stopping the last punch being thrown to save somebody because we've seen it plenty of times, even played out in the soaps, that one hit could actually kill somebody. It's not the hit, it's where they fall and hit themselves. And what happened when that lady intervened? Um, they, They ran off. Right, and she just asked the boy if he was okay, and she said he said that he was going to contact his his parents and get brought home and get checked over. Oh, I haven't heard any um I haven't heard any update on it, um, but it's just I'd hate to be that parent that that son walked in the door and trying to explain because after that then you're going to be terrified every time your child leaves the house. Yeah, you will.
So it's um. Would you unfortunately, be it's just getting worse. Would you be fearful walking around Clamell now, Tara? Yeah, because, and it's not just with teenagers and stuff. As I said, it, there's the adults too. Yeah. So you just know, unfortunately, in the town, what places not to walk down yeah. or where not to hang around or where not to loiter, um, you know, or to stay to in well, yeah, yeah, or stay in well-lit places and, you know, around, you know, groups of people. Yeah. But it, it also, with the, the, the trial going on at the moment, it just shows with Ashley Murphy that there could be people around and it's still happening. People are still fighting. They're attacking people. And it's just so hard. You just yeah, I mean, you don't know when to intervene. or No, you don't. I think what strikes the fear in everyone with the Ashley Murphy trial is that that was a young woman who was out for a run in the middle of the afternoon who was attacked by, as we heard yesterday, from someone she had absolutely no connection with. They never had any interaction. And this was a man who, you know, is accused of murdering her. That's it. And it's the simple thing. She went out for a walk. Yeah. Now, I don't know if these other five teenagers knew this this other teenager, but they mightn't have. Only one of them might have known, but the rest could have jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah, And it could have been so anything just, like he gave me a dirty look when he walked past me. It could have been anything. Exactly. And as I said, like mental health at the moment didn't, well, before COVID was very bad in this town. It's even worse now. And we don't have a good mental health facilities. A lot of our facilities here in town are kind of, you know, volunteer run. Mm. And, you know, trying to get help for anyone suffering from something like, it's it's very hard. So, yes, it's impossible. And it's kind of like a domino effect then. Yeah, and I think that's why we're in a situation now. I just, I feel like there's something in society now where, where there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anger. And how is that going to come out? That's it, and it's slowly starting to, to show itself in different ways. Yeah. You know, as I said, there was adults and then there was teenagers. So it's it's not just, um, you know, just the one group. Yeah, it's There's different groups. So it's not just the teenagers and antisocial behaviour because I've seen grown adults in their 30s and 40s fighting each other in the middle of the town. My God. Okay, so, let's get on to the guards and we'll see what the situation is, if they're following it up. Tara, thanks so much for talking to us this No morning. problem. All the best. Take thanks, care. Tara. Thank you. Bye-bye. A listener says this is going to be life with a young population that's coming along. Respect is lost since COVID for everybody. I do door security at the weekend. It would frighten you what's going on every weekend. That's from one listener. Keep those texts coming into us. 83 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. A listener says, okay, there is a problem in Clomel, but it's a lack of Garthi and mental health services. We need to be selling the town in a better light, not bringing it down. Another listener says, here we go again, blaming mental health for pure thuggery. I think it all plays into each other, though. I think if if young people are in a bad place mentally, 
that will show itself in, in aggression sometimes. Uh, so I think it does go hand in hand. Another listener says, my 21-year-old son was with his young teenage sister in early September, sitting at a chip shop in Tipperary. He was assaulted and my daughter witnessed it all. I've contacted a few counsellors and no help. Where do I go from here? He was also out of work for two weeks because of facial trauma and hospital appointments. He lost out on pay from work. It's an ongoing issue where we are. The innocent are suffering. Keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 or 1800 Just before we move on to our next item, I want to wish all the junior cert students the best of luck as well today. They're all getting their results today. Uh, so best of luck to you. Look, at the end of the day, if you do well, fantastic and well done. If you don't, it doesn't really matter. So don't let it get you down. And to all the parents, due results today. Oh, it was, a, it was a hard slog, wasn't it? But sure, look, this is the practice run for the leaving cert. Uh, let us know if you get results later on this morning. Let us know how you get on. 83 311 now, views, ideas and concerns were discussed at a joint Oireachtas Committee on Assisted Dying yesterday. Three groups were presenting varied viewpoints and concerns to the hearing. The Irish Doctors Supporting Medical Assistance in Dying Group says it wants to see assisted dying for adults with a terminal illness and a prognosis of six months or less. Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan has spoken to us before of her support for assisted dying. She joins me on the line now. Anne-Marie, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Tell me, what are the reasons why you would support assisted dying? Well, I suppose, um, I think many of the people that speak about this um, have um, experience of a situation where someone belonging to them has died. And in my case, it was my dad. Um, He died in 2015 from cancer very, very suddenly. Sorry, Henry. Yeah, thank you. The last few weeks of his life were I can only describe it as horrendous really the pain he was in now we had amazing palliative care we had great support it's not to take from any of that and I think palliative care has a massive role in end of life and comfort but unfortunately given my father's ter- like terminal illness and the type of cancer he had it just seemed impossible to get that pain under control and I suppose me as his daughter and my sister we spent three weeks watching him die in agony and it has really shaped my opinion of um, kind of dignified dying and allowing a patient the right to have a say in how they want to die and when they want to die. Obviously, it needs to have robust legislation surrounding it, but I suppose I'm speaking from personal experience. I watched my dad die a very slow and excruciating death, and it was awful. Would your views have been different prior to your experience with your dad? Um, I probably would have always been somewhat sympathetic towards the idea of assisted dying um, from a humane perspective. But I suppose it's one of those topics that I think a lot of people don't fully engage with until it comes to your own door. And then you see it in a very, very different light. And like I said, um, you know, sometimes when you see or you hear about people dying, you see that they died peacefully, this end of life is a peaceful experience and without a shadow of doubt it is for some people but it is not for everybody and for us my father also had what they called an agitated death and it was a terminology that I'd never heard of before Mm. and his death was agitated 24 hours of the day for the three weeks you know his, his diagnosis was very short by the time they discovered what was wrong you know he he went into hospital on a Sunday night I drove him into A&E because he just kind of got a swelling on the side of his neck. Now, he hadn't been well up until 
this point. Like it was only 68. We were in and out of doctor's appointments, but nobody could figure out what was wrong. And it was the winter time. It was this time. And we thought maybe he had pneumonia or something. And then it was a Sunday evening. I'll never forget it. Really kind of frosty Sunday evening. And he just came and said, oh, Marie, I've got this kind of lump on my neck out of nowhere. So I drove him into A&E and he never came home. Like the bacon and the cabbage was in the fridge on the Sunday night, you know, to be cooked on the Monday morning. Yeah. And he, ne- he never saw his house again. He never he never got out of hospital and he died in Clue and Allen with wonderful care, may I add. And again, I suppose I can't speak highly enough of the hospice and palliative care, but just for my dad, no matter what, you know, whatever comfort they tried to give him through, you know, the use of morphine, the use of pain relief, it just didn't work, unfortunately. And th- and that is the harsh reality for some people. And my dad also did say at the time, you know, when he got his diagnosis, like it took him about maybe four or five days between the, bi- the biopsy and, and the results coming back that looked it was terminal cancer. It was abdominal cancer that had spread into the bone. So, like, my dad was sitting there going every part of his body because all his bones were riddled with cancer oh at that stage and he was in such pain and you know and dad being kind of old school was like he'd wait till the pain got really bad and then he'd say I'm really, yeah. I need more pain relief and then we'd go down to the nurse and the nurses kept saying do not wait so eventually we kind of got him on the morphine pump and all that but really he suffered to the bitter end and even in the last 24 hours before he died um, he said to the hospice nurse, I, he kept saying, I just want to die. Oh I just God. want to die. And he had to wait for his body to die, unfortunately. You know, so it was it was grueling for him. And he, and like even when he died, he was really, like my dad was a former boxer. He was, you know, he worked on the building sites. He was a very strong man. And he never had that look of cancer about him. So when he died, he looked like fit and healthy. Mm. So his body took so long to die you know and it was just like i can't i can't really describe it it was just an awful experience for him um even to the stage where he um when he got his diagnosis they did offer him you know um some radiotherapy and you know there was a discussion well is it worth it because it was a terminal diagnosis and they were kind of saying well look you might get six weeks or you might get six months we don't know and he refused point blank the treatment because he said look it's i don't want to be dying slowly for six months he was very clear about what he wanted. The, so the hospital brought down the psychiatric team um, to assess him to make sure that, number one, he knew what he was doing by refusing a short-term treatment, and number two, that none of his family, like us, were trying to influence the decision, which we appreciated because we left the room. They spoke to my dad. He told them exactly you know, how he felt, what he wanted, and then we came back in. But after they left the room, and it was just me and dad, he said to me, look, I've told them now. So he said, so what happens next? How am I going to die? Did they give me something? Oh, Jesus, Ali. You know, he was thinking that because he told them, now they were going to help him. And I think the hardest thing I had to do was tell him, you have to die yourself here now. It's up to you. You have to do this, you know? So it was traumatic for everybody, really. So, yeah. So, look, uh, but going back, I suppose, to the assisted dying debate that's going on with the Oireachtas Committee... Like, it's such a difficult and emotive subject to talk about. Mm. And people have real fears, which I completely understand that if you bring in um, assisted dying, will it, like I've heard, you know, comments or narratives, like it'll open the floodgates. What about vulnerable people? And, And I completely understand the fear. So there has to be kind of robust 
legislation to make sure there's no unintended consequences or rules aren't, you know, kind of bent, probably the wrong word I'm using, but it has to be very robust legislation around it. And what some of the medical um, people were saying yesterday is that, you know, there must be termination within six months, they must be over 18. I think it's a step, in, to me personally, it's a step in the right direction because, honestly, I, I wouldn't want anyone to go through what my dad did nor any of his, you know, family to witness that and to not be able to help, really. Yeah, and I suppose the difficult thing for for ordinary people like us is that the medical community are so divided on it. And if they're divided on it, how do we decide? I mean, we heard yesterday from the Irish Hospital Consultants Association President, Professor Rob Landers, he had concerns. And I, I, I thought his statement was frightening. He is afraid that some people may choose to end their life due to shortcomings in the health service, was what he said. Yeah, or or people with depression they're talking about potentially can you use it that my life isn't yeah. worth living. So I suppose this this is the kind of unintended consequences if there isn't proper robust legislation. And I think look, we have to have the debate. I mean I think about people like Nikki Feelan and you know, Marie Fleming and other kind of people that have been advocates for assisted dying, but I think all of them have, you know, been very clear that this is about um, giving a person dignity at those that stage of their life when they feel that they have no other alternative through, well, I suppose primarily this has been medical terminations, you know, uh, diagnosis, as opposed to other other concerns. That's the worry, and I do understand that, and I think talking about it, but we have we actually have to be able to talk about it. Yeah. We have to be respectful of others' opinions. We have to be very respectful of people who completely oppose it but equally we have to be respectful and listen to people like Marie Fleming and Vicky Phelan or people like my dad who didn't have a voice and I couldn't give him I couldn't do anything to help him at the end except just watch him and you know I don't know really there's yeah. I mean, the Netherlands was quoted yesterday as one example. Now, it, it is there and there has since in, in recent times have been an extension of eligible age groups and that's including newborn infants. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if we will ever see a day in Ireland where, where that could be maybe no. brought in here. Yeah, you, you kind of, when you hear that, you just balk, don't yeah. you? You just pull back. You can feel yourself going, that's just, you know, yeah, I suppose it feels wrong. this is the nuances and the big nuances, which is what, you know, how do we make these decisions? What's right? What's wrong and you know it's definitely not black and white I'm talking about an experience that I had um, of a full grown 68 year old man who had full faculties knew exactly what he wanted and had a term a, a terminal illness that was you know killing him um, swiftly but very very painfully that's very different to other scenarios so I suppose we have to have the conversation and we have to listen and we have to find a way forward. I, I don't think we can stay the way we are where it's illegal, but at the same time, how do we protect the most vulnerable in society from um, situations growing out of um, assisted dying becoming legal? So I suppose it's all about the legislation that would surround us and kind of um, concrete it into law and yeah, it's going to be difficult, but I'm, I'm glad that the conversations are happening about it. And I'm glad to talk, well, I'm not glad to talk about it, but it's good to talk about it really, you know, and Absolutely. that people have their have their voices heard. Yeah, and that's the important thing, that all voices are heard and respected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Anne-Marie, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye that's uh, Councillor Anne-Marie Ryan there. Just to, We're getting a lot of reaction to it. Just to bring you some of it, a uh, listener says, I've seen people slowly fall apart and die from cancer. I fully believe the option should be there for people. 
Not everyone who has a terminal illness would take the option, but I firmly believe that a person who faces an excruciating death should have the option to ease their suffering. One thing, though, is that it has to be done by referendum. A listener says assisted dying is Nazism by another name. That's from Donal. Uh, another listener says assisted dying I have strong views on it I don't believe in it but I would not support it in any way I do not support uh, DNR also just my feeling on it that's from Patrick Um, another text in from a listener says the one that gives life takes it my late husband passed in 2018 at no time would I have suggested this Uh, another listener says I always find it strange people say don't let a dog or animal suffer but yet someone uh, like Anne-Marie's father has to suffer RIP to the poor man and my sympathy to her and her family. Keep those texts coming into us 083 311 311 or 1800 938 007 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer Slattery's Garage Pecone The name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County Slattery's Garage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Shock and horror are just two of the words being used by the Red Cross and the World Health Organization to describe an explosion at a hospital in Gaza that's killed at least 500 people. Hamas says it was an Israeli airstrike, but Israel's military is insisting it has evidence to show it was Islamic Jihad who themselves deny responsibility. Now, the US President Joe Biden is in Tel Aviv today to meet Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. But will this visit ease tensions or will it further intensify the situation? Bill joins me on the line now. Bill, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Ellie? I'm good, Bill. Good to talk to you this morning. But unfortunately, as we're seeing with the situation in Gaza, there's there seems to be a new development almost on the hour. And it's yeah. it's it's always resulting in deaths of innocent people. Biden is heading there today. Do you think that visit will do anything to ease tensions? Well, I suppose uh, the IDF now have, uh, have said that the, that the, the strike on the hospital was definitely a misfire from a jihadi Islam missile fired from a cemetery at the rear of the hospital now. Now they have uh, I I've been watching some of the television reports on it and that's the that's the that's the way they're portraying this hit on the hospital. But uh, the Gaza Health Ministry are saying that it was an IDF airstrike, like so who knows? Yeah, and that, that, that's the thing with the reports that are coming out from Gaza. It's, you know, Israel are always blaming Hamas. Hamas always blaming Israel. Yeah. It's very difficult to know what the truth is underneath yeah. it. Yeah. I see an Israeli official there on Sky News this morning. He was, causing the, he was saying the Gaza Health Ministry are actually, are actually uh, run by uh, Hamas, like, you know. So dismissing everything to say that might be truthful from the Gaza side as Hamas kind yeah. of propaganda is kind of, you know, kind of, it's kind of, it suits the IDF, the IDF effort. And to have them, say, confirm that the uh, the strike on the hospital was uh, Islamic jihadi, uh, say, Owen Gold, say, that would, say, you know, kind of give uh, Biden, when he does, uh, say, uh, meet with Netanyahu, that, that would give him, say, further, further cause to strengthen, you know, his support for... Yeah. Uh, 
for the retaliation by the IDF, like, you know, against uh, the people of Gaza, you know. Yeah, you're right. And I heard the Israeli ambassador to Ireland speaking this morning and she was asked about what efforts are being made to bring aid to the region. And um, she basically said Israel is doing everything that it can, but Hamas just won't let it in. So like you said, whenever you question Israel on anything, the blame is always put on Hamas. Oh, yes, yes. And that's, yeah, and um, they don't want to, they don't want any sort of say um, they don't want any sort of say um, international say humanitarian sort of sympathy towards the people of of Hamas, you know. The, and if you can see there from the USA earlier in the conflict, you know, you know, say ten days ago after the seventh of October, you can hear from the you can hear from the vibes from the USA and the British that they have very little value in the lives of the Palestinian population of uh, of the Gaza Strip, like, you know. And it's only, it's only due to other other countries that have uh, that are concerned about, uh, say, the Geneva Convention and, say, the international laws. It's only for, because of their concern that, uh, say, Biden and the English administration are softening their, their kind of... Uh, their, uh, their, 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 they're, they're softening their, their, uh, their rhetoric on the whole situation. Unfortunately, yeah. if it turns out to be true that this rocket that was fired or misfired did come from Islamic Jihad, that will further strengthen the argument for Israel and the US who are backing them. Yes, yes. But uh, I think now Biden would be more interested in knowing kind of opening a humanitarian corridor to, 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 you know, to, to send in relief, medical relief and that into into the, the people of Gaza, you know, I'd say that's more or less what's going to come out of this, and not not more or less, you know, kind of a uh, you know rigid support for the uh, the IDF uh, the IDF uh, response uh, to the matter that happened say on the seventh of October, as regards the the shameful say Hamas yeah. uh, Hamas uh, sort of a terrorist campaign. But do you think everyone is just playing lip service to this in terms of, you know, we need a humanitarian response, we need everyone to act, you know, within the law. But when Israel announced that they would be allowing Palestinians to escape from Gaza through the Rafah um, exit into Egypt, that was yes, then yes. attacked by Israel later on that day. As That's right, yeah. And then you have the idea of saying that they were that, that they were advising the people in in um, in the city of Gaza to, to move south, but then the convoys that were moving south were hit by Israeli airstrikes as well. Like yeah. you know, so you you don't know how sincere the Israelis are in you know in their in their uh, in their uh, you know in their efforts to try and alleviate say, the the pressure. Yeah. And uh, on, on the on the on the Palestinian innocent population, you know, in in the in the Gaza Strip, you know. Now, obviously, you know, we have concerns here, Bill, for the forty or so Irish that are in Gaza. That's we, right, we haven't yeah. got any word yet on whether they've been able to escape. But there's also huge concerns for the Irish troops in the Lebanon who are just over that's the border. Right, yeah. What do you yeah, think should be done there? Well, I don't think I don't think uh, it's in the, the interest of the IDF to have the, the the situation there expanded so as that other elements, other say, other terrorist elements are going to get involved there from say, from South Lebanon and that, like you know. Mm. But is the retaliation from the IDF in, in uh, 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 the retaliation say, to say his bullet strikes on the the, the towns the towns bordering the the the, Leban, the 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 Lebanese border, you know, the, the Israeli towns border. That, that that's where the Irish uh, troops are coming into uh, coming into danger. It's the it's the IDF 
retaliatory, say, strikes against South Lebanon, you know, and who they consider to be his pull of strongholds in South Lebanon. That's where, that's where the danger lies for the Irish troops. Do you think they need to be pulled out? Oh, I'd say if things escalate any further, I'd say yeah. You know, if the if if um, if the whole if the whole region like if it becomes a, a wider regional sort of a uh, a conflict, yeah, I'd say they have to be pulled out. Like you know. Can I ask you, Bill, what did you think of Michael D. Higgins's comments? Um, I know he's been getting a lot of, of reaction to it in terms of coming out against Ursula von der Leyen's statement over the weekend that Europe supports yeah. Israel. I know Mary Lou MacDonald spoke about it in the Dáil yesterday that Ursula von der Leyen yeah. does not speak on behalf of all of the EU. What did you make of that? Well, you see, Ursula von der Leyen kind of she kind of weighed in with the with the with the Israeli right to defend themselves thing, you know. Without mentioning the the humanitarian rights and the, the Geneva Convention and international law, she didn't kind of and you know the, the twenty seven the twenty seven EU states like you know that's not their that's not their mandate or that's not their policy for for uh, say Ursula von der Leyen to go off and say give her own say uh, sentiment on the, the the issue you know and mm-hmm. Michael D Higgins in fairness like kind of checked her there like you know Michael D has kind of a you know, uh, he has an unofficial way of being a wit in yeah. some situations which are, not, which are not a part of his remit, like, you know, that kind of way. And in fairness to the government, I mean, I know we give out about them enough on this show, but I mean, they have yeah. been an outlier in this. They've been one of the only European oh, countries yeah. who stood up and, and have called oh, for, yeah. for peace oh, yeah, in this. They, yeah, they, I mean, they, the Jews, yet in general, they, 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 don't, they don't have any, they don't have any, say, they don't have any love for the Irish, you know, because we always were, say, an outlier. You know, as regards the situation, uh, you know, uh, we always had, uh, you know, uh, um, a kind of a very fair ear for the plight of the Palestinians, like, you know. Well, I suppose we know. understand we've been through exactly what they've been through. So I think maybe yeah. there is a bit of a yeah, empathy yeah. there for them and understanding. Yeah, but then again, you look there now at Biden going over today, and I'm sure now he's going to, he's going to, he's going to reassure the Israelis that they have the full support of the uh, of the of the of the United States, both uh, in diplomacy and say and uh, military wise, you know, and you you kind of you wouldn't be you know if you were thinking like is Israel actually the fifty second state of the USA? Yeah, you know you you, you wouldn't be you know to thinking that you know kind of that's the way I'd be thinking like, and that's always been the way because all the. You know, even though Israel are a modern day, a modern day society, they had to have good infrastructure, everything like that, which the, which their neighbours don't have. Well, they have an incredible, and, and mili- have. their military Hello? resources are among the best in the world. Ireland, oh They're- yes, yes, but that's all. That's all the US dollar. Mm-hmm. And when you think about, when you think about, when you think about the, the, the if you think uh, about uh, the financial, the, the financial uh, wealth of the USA, like all their. All their banks are really, you know, they're really, um, they're really owned by very wealthy members of the Jewish community, or the main stockholders in them are members of the Jewish community, and they have an awful, they have an awful, say, a political uh, clout with the administration in the USA. Bill, you know, so you're going to be accused of being anti-Semitic now. I will anti-Semitic, like you see, there's a, that's a term now that's coming. You know, anything you can say. That kind of uh, doesn't condone the behaviour of the IDF in the Middle East, like you know, and the Israeli nation in the Middle East can be considered anti-Semitic. But 
I'm not really talking about, you know, fair play. And, I was, and you know, I, I, I was actually praising the, the Jewish community in the United States when I said about their, you know, their, 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 uh, their hold over the investment the banks there and everything like that. You know, I was just saying that they are a big, strong lobbying group there. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not begrudging them, you know, their success in the USA. Yeah. Bill, I'll have to leave it there. I'm out of time, I'm afraid, for this morning. But great to talk to you. Thanks for giving us the time Not a butter, not a butter. Take care, no. Thanks, Bill. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. 1800-938-007 or text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Any hopes that we had this morning that the visit of President Joe Biden to Israel might ease tensions. I think have been well and truly dashed if you take into account his statement that he made on landing this morning just within the last few minutes. Uh, the news is coming in that US President Joe Biden has said that Washington will provide Israel with everything it needs to defend itself. Uh, he also said that Hamas was worse than Islamic State for its killing of Israeli civilians in the surprise attack on October 7th. He said he was sad and outraged by an explosion at a hospital in the Gaza Strip on Tuesday, but added that it seems the other team was responsible. Those were the words he used, the other team, in relation to Palestinian militants. He also said that 31 Americans were among the more than 1,300 Israelis killed in that Hamas attack 11 days ago. So there goes any hopes that maybe a U.S. voice might bring some peace to the region. I think those comments will just inflame the situation even more. Just incredible, an incredible statement he made this morning and certainly not helpful. Let us know what you think on it. 83 Now, the number of penalty points for motorists committing traffic offences is to increase on bank holidays under new proposed legislation. The new traffic measures bill 2023 will allow the number will allow the number of penalty points to increase during specific times when road safety risks are deemed higher. Teresa joins me on the line now. Oh sorry, we're going to Mick. We're going to talk about first uh, about the parish rules issue that we were discussing during the week. And this was in relation to children uh, particularly underage. I think it it's, it tends to affect the under 12s under 14 age groups a little bit more. Um, and if they want to transfer a club, there is a rule there, the parish rule it's called, but a lot of parents have been saying how difficult that is to access. Mick joins me on the line now. Good morning, Mick. Good morning. Good to Alison. talk to you this morning, Alison, Mick. It is, yeah, it's Alison here. Tell Hi, me, Alison. what's your take on the on this transfer rule, the parish rule? Do you think it's something that should be made a bit easier for parents and children to access, or do you think it's okay as it is? Well, any, anything that that, um, that improves the, the the life for the for the children is is a good thing. So um, I'm not so sure about the transfer. Uh, it could cause if they don't if they don't allow the children to transfer, it could cause a risk of them losing their children to other sports because um, not everybody is going to make the the first team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And if they're playing with if, if they're if their parish has a very club and very good players. And the players that are that are not as 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 good, we'll say, for want of a better word, they may never get a game in that parish, and, and that's not fair to the kids either, you know. So there is a, there is definitely a, 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 a there is definitely a, a, 
a reason for the transfer if if it can be worked. I know it's there with it's there with as long as we can remember, you know. Yeah, I know, and that's true what you're saying. But not all GA clubs have the luxury of having a first and a second team. What, what I think what this rule does is it protects the smaller clubs who are barely making numbers, who barely have a team, from yeah. not losing any more players. Oh, I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that the the good players from the small clubs will want to go to the to the the better clubs. Yeah. Um, yeah, which you see, it's 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 one one fit doesn't suit all either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, um, clubs are going to do everything they can to to hold on to their numbers. So I mean, this rule is there to to help them to do that. Uh, yes, I I I know what that's that's true. That's true. Yeah, to keep, to keep them in their own clubs or in their own parish. Um. Yeah. This it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps if if the GA if the GAA um had a, a more more uh, more leagues of different standards where where um the smaller clubs could uh, compete at their own level. The poorer clubs could compete at their own level. You know. Yeah. Well, um, I think they kind of have that. I mean, if you have a championship now in juvenile. Yeah. Um, and we'll say the last two teams then will go into a shield. So they still have the chance of winning some kind of silverware at the end of a season. But are you yeah. saying something completely different to that? Completely, completely different. You see, you're after hitting the nail on the head there where the, where the main problem is. I know it's, it's not going to change. It's the winning of the silverware and the competition. That, that, I'd, have, I'd have an opinion on that, that, that young children shouldn't, kids up, up to 14 shouldn't be competing for for trophies. It's all about getting them to play the games and to improve their standard and their skills. It should be up to that age, not not about winning trophies. Yeah, I they're, agree with you. I agree with you. But you, you are going to have those kids who are very competitive, who are very skilled and want to be tested on the field in that way and want yeah, to win silverware. Yeah, that's the point. But you see, that's kind of bred into the kids now at this stage. It's 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 our fault. It's the adults' fault. Do you that's, think so? I I I do. Yeah. You see, it, parents are very competitive with their children. Uh, sometimes I think that parents are trying to relive their own <laughs> their, their, their own youth uh, through their children. You know. Yeah. And it's it's not just the GA. It's in it's in all sports and all comp- all 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 activities. Um. It's all it's all about it's all about winning trophies and winning prizes. You know. Yeah, but do, um, do you think, Mick, that children should be playing for the club that that's part of their community, where they live, as opposed to a club that they choose? Where do you stand on that, or do you think that doesn't matter in IOTA? Well, I, I don't think it matters, really. If if the children are happy where, where they're playing, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, the parish, the parish is, the parish, uh, is, 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 is brilliant, but that's, a, that's in an ideal world, do you know what I mean? But yeah. With children, it's not always an ideal world for the children, and that's that's what you're trying to achieve. Is you're trying to to make it as good for the children as possible. Um, I think probably we're all a bit guilty of maybe that's a bit of an oversight. Maybe for us sometimes we get a bit caught up in it. Maybe you're right. Oh, oh yeah, you see exactly. And again, as as I said, it's not just to do with the GS, to do with all 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 activities, all sports and activities, whether it's, whether it's football, hurling, dancing, swimming, or 
running or whatever. It's all, it's all, it's, but it's always been like that too, Alison. Yeah. You know what I mean? As long as I can remember, now I'm, I'm a grandfather at this stage, and as long as I can remember, it, it was all about winning, winning trophies. You know. What's that in so, us, Mick? Do you think is it? Are we all just hardwired to be competitive, or is it that you know we think so highly of our own that we want them to do well and we want them to get the recognition that we feel they should get? What is it? I would think that the, the second point you made that there were that we're we're not well well adults are probably all hardwired at this stage, but children are not hardwired because some children are quite quite um, happy to just compete and just to enjoy the the activity and and the the, the company of their of their peers. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But as, as adults, we're definitely hardwired. I I'm competitive myself, even all my lot is competitive and. Uh, would want to win even if there was no trophy you know what I mean so oh, listen, by the, by join the club I'd kill you in Monopoly Mick <laughs> I tell you I know. I know yeah I know what you mean yeah it's just, it's a hard one and um, it's something for the for the GA that they're going to have to figure that out you know what I mean mm. um, and, and there's my, no one size fits all for it there's no one size that's the point there's definitely no one size fits all uh, the lady had on yesterday I think it was Joe and Joe, she just yeah. about, she just about covered everything you know the um the most important thing is that kids are enjoying themselves and happy, and and um, and they're all different. You see, they're not yeah. they're not all the same. As I said, your head one size won't fit all. Yeah. And then, as I said, the parent the parents are are trying to live relive dreams that they had themselves and never 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 uh, achieved. It, you know. Yeah. The, the the other thing about it is that you said it earlier there about the, the parents thinking that their child is good enough to do this. It, that's that's the that's the case in all in all walks of life, you know. No matter what your, what, your, what the children are doing, the, the the parents think their own are are brilliant and should be should be doing this or doing that. They should be the, the ones to be in the teams or whatever. But I think the blitzes that they run and that are are, are a very good um, a very good venture. Do you know where yeah. the, where there's there's no there's no real real competition. They're getting four or five games or six games during the day, little short games where they're where they're where they're playing, and it doesn't matter what club they're playing with, you know, if 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 it if it makes them happy. That's you the know. thing. Yeah, and that's what we need to remember. Mick, lovely to talk to you this that's morning. Thanks for that. Not at all. Thanks a million, Alison. Thanks, bye-bye Mick. A uh, listener says, if kids were looked after in their own club or parish, they wouldn't want to leave. Some clubs just look after so-called good players um, and forget then about the weaker teams ending up with them then leaving. Now, back to the topic on this proposal of increased penalty points for motorists for bank holiday weekends, because bank holiday weekends are deemed um, a higher safety risk. So there is this proposal to bring in higher penalty points for those weekends. Teresa joins me on the line now. Hi, Teresa. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm great, Teresa. Good to talk to you this morning. What do you make of this proposal? Do you think penalty points should be higher on bank holidays? I'm kind of 50-50 on it, to be honest. I'm not really against it and I'm not really for it. Um, if It's only just to deal with bank holidays. I mean, a lot of people on the bank holidays are kind of going home to families. They're not, um, how would you say, they're not maybe users rushing every day. It's kind of taking time out and going back. And I mean, you have the kids in the care where you wouldn't have it normally if you have a family going home to see grandparents or whatever. Um, I think it's up to the people to themselves to be responsible for their own actions as well. Yeah. You know, um, 
as I say, don't travel a long distance if you're tired. Um, you might know the road, but someone else that's on it might know the road. You might not be in fault, but yet you could be the one that gets hit. It's a very, very hard situation to work out. I think also the cars are getting bigger. Mm. The roads ain't changing. The secondary roads definitely, you know, for the size of the cars. You can all see that, that they're all gone big family cars, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, the, the roads are becoming a bit more dangerous. And maybe does it take the threat of more penalty points maybe to, to make us wake up and say, God, I need to be driving a bit safer and a bit slower? Well, I mean, penalty points are there at the moment. Um, Do you think they're doing much? There doesn't seem to be too many paying attention to them. Yeah. I think in my book, I mean, you look at the local newspaper, you see a fella bought up for no tax, no insurance, no drivers but I hope the second time and the third time. So maybe the law needs to get heavier than the penalty points. Did you see the story about your man in the Lamborghini this morning? I didn't actually, no. Oh but um, I'm just... He was uh, just to let listeners know. He was he was travelling at two hundred and twenty kilometres an hour in a Lamborghini and got pulled over and done. And he appearing in court, he said he has since got rid of the Lamborghini and has gone for driving lessons. But do you think you'd have bloody driving lessons before you get a Lamborghini? Well, number one, I don't know how he he must be fairly wealthy to afford a Lamborghini on these roads. Uh, I mean, com- common sense there. I mean, he'll get away nicely with that. He'll just get a fine slip in the hand. That's wrong. I mean, people driving at that speed is absolutely outrageous. I, don't I mean, know how you well could. and truly above the speed. Yeah, I don't you know couldn't. how you could. But then again, you look at um, ads on the televisions, not to 80 and so many points seconds. You'll see that with cars coming on. As I said, they are designing cars. They're designing them so well and so good, but they're not designing for the roads. I think that's a lot of it. They're looking at other ways of doing it. I mean, you talk, you can nearly talk into a car now and the car will do what you want. Yeah. So years ago, you had to, if you wanted to drive, you had to stay and steer and you had to look at where you were going. You had to slow down. You know, I often say, I think the manufacturers of the cars too has a lot to answer for with the size and what to put into a car. Yeah. But then it has to be said, cars are a lot safer now than they were before. Well, if I question that if they're that safer now than they were before how come we're having so many accidents I, because I of driver behavior. That way. yeah even though the car itself is safer we're able to drive it at a faster speed so maybe yeah. is that negating the safety of the car then but that's i think in one sense that's where the driver comes complacent it kind of you know well i know i can drive it at this speed i know it's safe yeah. But yet you don't think of the other person coming forward. Uh, you know what I mean? Or think of your own safety. I think that kind of looks at it a bit. I mean, the same there for both drink driving or drug driving. To me, once you get caught once off of the road, don't ever get back again. But unless you go redo full test and do everything back. That would be just my opinion on that now. Mm. The problem is, though, for I think there's a, a large cohort of people who do lose their licences through dangerous driving or whatever, but, th- like, they don't care. Those, they're still going to get in their car tomorrow and drive. Yeah, and, I mean, what do they get when they're brought up the second time? You know, this is where I said a lot needs to change a little bit to go with it. Now, my granddaughter is only 16 years of age in Canada. It will tell you how well she started driving. At in Canada, 16, yeah, but she can only go out between the hours of eight and five wow. and drive. That's a great but idea. But this, this is sorted through school. Yeah. Before she finishes the school, she will be a qualified driver because it's part of the curriculum. 
that I think that's a great idea. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's wrong. I mean, I'll be honest, Alison, when I drove myself, I was great at the beginning. I did everything right. But as you go on, you do get little bad habits sure. and we can't say we don't. We yeah, do. We do. But for a younger person starting off to learn the responsibility of a care, to learn how to do it, to learn to change your tyres. I mean, they have to change their tyres over there from winter tyres to summer tyres. Wow. That all comes into it. I mean, and learn how to maintain your care. She had to go, she's going through all of that at the moment, doing it. But she's only allowed on the road from 8 to 5. And once 5 o'clock comes, she has to get off the road. Busy time. But that's no harm because it gives her responsibility of what you have to do. I do agree with that. Now, again, maybe I'm just seeing, it would be nice to see it being taught in the schools a bit better. Yeah. And maybe have that as part of the curriculum coming out, that before you get out of school at leaving certain age, when you are 16 to 18, that you have your driving license with you and that you have a full driving license with you. Yeah, well, I, I know that in, in most TY years now, they do the theory test as part of TY, but that's only the theory test. But it's a great start. I, I'd like to see us doing what they're doing, what you're saying they're doing in Canada. I think that's a fantastic idea. It's a better idea, and I, you're going to laugh at this. I give up driving because I couldn't afford a car, I'll be honest, about three years ago. And I'm not joking you. It took me a while to get used to it, but I'm so used to it now. I find I'm nervous even as a, a passenger in really? a car now. God. Yeah. How do you get around and then? Are you relying then totally on public transport? Public transport, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we have a good transport system, so I won't complain here. We're grand. We can get where we want to get. Um, but at the same time, I think people need to be aware and be responsible for their own actions as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I do see people, even the electronic cares, to me, I, you get to come up so quietly. Now, they are very quietly. You can't say the end. If it's windy enough out there and if you're not in at the side, you should be in on, on your road and they patch you. You're actually, they're nearly a pasture before, up right beside you before you realise there was a car there. Yeah. Especially if it's windy. You know, I mean, it's probably good in one sense, but I think too much technicality comes into it and technicality the how roads isn't designed for as well. That's the thing. Teresa, lovely to talk to you this morning. No problem. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Teresa. Have a good one. That's Teresa there. We'd love to hear your views on that. We're getting a few texts in. I'll bring you some of them. A listener says there should be extra penalty points all the time because 90% of drivers are on the phone or texting. I worked on the road and saw it every single day. Another listener says one big issue is speed vans. They're in between speed limits, shooting a goldfish in a bowl, making money, says one listener. Another says this government is just using this to raise more money. More dying of suicide and cancer daily, but no money in that. So government do have, don't have any interest. How many single car accidents are suicide, says one listener. Uh, another listener says no, cars today are not safer. They're all made from light materials like plastic. Cars today are built for economy and speed and cars that are in an accident these days are all practically write-offs. That's a good point. Uh, cars many years ago were heavier and would stand up to better collisions. Another listener says increased penalty points on bank holiday weekends is only the start of a slippery slope. Also, a couple of texts in in relation to the parish rule. Brendan thinks, or he says, I think the parish rule is outdated. Some clubs have huge numbers and other clubs have not enough players to put out teams. 
uh, also in relation to the parish rule. A listener says, as kids go, it should not so much be about the winning, it's the fairness with kids. Every child, good, bad or indifferent, should be playing and equal, no heroes as there is. It's a huge, huge problem in juvenile hurling and camogie. That's from PJ. Thanks for that, PJ. Keep those texts coming in to us. 83 311 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 or text or WhatsApp 083 There's a few videos doing the rounds on Twitter this morning of serious flooding around Cork from Storm Babe, uh, particularly in Yall, which looks to be very badly affected. Uh, yellow warning, I believe, in place until about six, I think, in Tipperary this evening. So if you're out and about on the roads, do take care. Staying on the issue of road safety and what we were talking about, this proposal of having higher penalty points on bank holiday weekends because they're deemed to be a high-risk time on the roads. A listener says, talking on the news about letting people drive on learner permits and on the other hand wonder why we have the highest road debts. Something isn't adding up here. To stay on that topic now, Siobhan joins me on the line. Hiya, Siobhan. Hi, Alison. Good morning. How are you? I'm great, Siobhan. Good to talk to you this morning. What's your take on penalty points? You're you're a bit critical of them overall, are you? I am in that we we all know where the speed traps are, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, like, I could tell you the two points between Cashel and Thurlis, where we work, that you're definitely going to slow down and be in the right area or the right speed limit at that time. So it's not... For anyone that's on the road full-time constantly, they're going to know where the traps are. Mm. It's more policing we need or Garda out on the road. Um, drink driving is a huge effect on the amount of traffic, uh, road traffic deaths as well. Um, we need more checkpoints and we need more Garda on the rather than these vans with speed points. And also the bank holiday thing. Is it speeding that's causing the accidents on bank holidays or is it stuff Again, going back to driving out of pubs at night, pedestrians being hit by cars. So do you think it's probably more of a complex issue than maybe blaming speed on it? I do. I don't think it's all down to do with speed. We'll say, I drove down from Longford to Thurlis on Monday. Yeah. And there was a car van type thing. And I'd say it was doing about 30 kilometres per hour. Oh, God. And it was holding up a string of traffic yeah. to the point where an end driver in front of me passed on a double continuous white line. Yeah. But you could see why it happened because the guy wouldn't keep in on the road a little bit and a man or woman, I don't actually know who was in this, but it was a case of I said to my husband who was beside me, I said, this fella is going to cause carnage and it's not going to be speed, it's frustration and annoyance from other drivers. You get so lot stuck behind and I said that it was probably 20 cars back that was stuck behind this guy. Yeah, that's one of my big bugbears as well, people driving too slow. Like 30 kilometres an hour is way too slow to be driving on the road. Yeah, and it was 100 kilometres. It was that between Ross Grey and and Temple Moor. And I'd say we weren't back at the factory two hours 
when we'd heard that there'd been a road traffic accident and I think somebody actually died on that stretch. Oh well, we don't know if, if, if there's any tie between those two either, but, oh you gosh, know, ju- no, just, not at all. It, it just it's, highlights, you know, how people need to be safe across yeah, the road. It's not just, just saying like that could so easily have been us. Yeah. Um. So I do think there's a lot involved. I was, my house, we'll say, is looking out on a main road, and I'm seeing at least five out of ten cars going by, and they're on the mobile phones. You have tractors going by at massive speeds. That mass like tractor, everyone has said that couldn't be a massive speed. But the big ones that the farmers have now yeah, I agree. super yeah, fast. Absolutely. And um, there's kids driving them, tapping into mobile phones. And it's not just kids on the tractors, it's adults as well. Um, if you would say, if I'm watching television, I can actually just glance to the road, it's that close. It's like the Truman Show. If anyone goes <laughs> past the window, could see what we were watching on the telly. Yeah. But you're looking at the cars and the speed of them. There's kids on that road. If a child ran out after a ball or anything, there's, they're not giving themselves any time to prepare or stop. And then if it's happening to a mobile phone, well, you're definitely not going to see it. Yeah. Do you think the penalty points then has had any major effect on our attitude towards driving? No. I no. think penalty points is, to me, a revenue exercise. They're, they're going after... If you have fixed penalty points, you're going to go a little bit more carefully. Yeah. But you're still, there's nobody on the, and the vans aren't on those roads. Like, there should be a van outside our house. There should be an odd check there because nobody is going with the speed limit there. And it's a, ro- a very dangerous road. Well, I think originally and when these speed vans were introduced, what we were promised was that they would only be on the roads that are deemed to be accident black spots. But as we see, that isn't the case. They seem to be in the areas where they tend to be able to catch more people. Yeah, like you're not going to catch anybody coming out of Turles heading towards the horse and jockey doing anything more than 60 kilometres an hour anywhere because yeah. the... The volume of traffic doesn't allow for that. Yeah. Um, whereas, as I say, if the van pulled up outside my house, he would have a field day. He'd yeah. have everyone on it. But they need to kind of... Speed ramps would be an awful lot more. Like, outside, we have a pub next door, and it's a busy road. They could easily put a speed, couple of speed bumps on, you know, the, the road kind of tarmac yeah. things or, or at Something least like that traffic people yeah. down yes but um, I, I wonder just going back to what you were saying about penalty points being a money making exercise but if you look at all the I suppose initiatives that were brought in to help make roads safer they kind of all are money spinners like at the NCT that is my biggest bugbear I hate the NCT because it's a complete money spinner and it's a complete scam but yet it was brought in under the promise of it'll get these older, unsafe cars off the road. But I mean, a four or five-year-old car isn't unsafe. No, and I don't really... Uh, the NCT thing now I'm not that familiar with, but I do agree. A 10-year-old car is what, what would deem the car unsafe. It's the driver. Yeah, yeah. It's not the car. Like. Okay, the emissions thing, I think, was possibly part of the that NCT thing. But that's covered under so many other legislation now that it shouldn't matter. Yeah. 
Um, but definitely that MCT, there's no such thing as an unsafe car. It's an unsafe driver. Well, I suppose you can have an unsafe car. We'll say if you have ball tyres or you have maybe disc pads, brake pads that are worn out or you you could have various issues with a car that would make it unsafe. But I just wonder how many of those cars are found through the NCT. Or ha- is it just a money spinner, like you said? The NCT, I'm not yeah. that familiar with. But I do know that anybody that's on the road is going to, for their own safety, is going to make sure that the car is serviced and up to date. Yeah. Like you don't see that many old, I'm going to say old bangers going around now that you'd say like, oh gosh, look at the state of that car. Um, really, the majority of cars are pretty well maintained. Yeah. And um, I, I don't see that as a factor. I think what seems to be I a good idea... I tyres are important. Yeah. Definitely. But again, that's something that's spotted at a guard at checkpoint instantly. That's true. Like, um... I was stopped coming out of a throne two weeks ago and they just taxed insurance and checked the tyres. Yeah. So that was like routine and I do think that is routine with the Garda is to stop you as the first three things they look at. Yeah. That's, he yeah. then looks for your driving licence and stuff like that. So I don't know. I definitely think that Michael Healy Ray or one of the Healy Ray said this morning that kids should come out of school with a leaving cert and a driving license. Yeah, I agree. And I do think that's important. If you look, you can instill in a child from a very early age, look at the person beside you. You speed in that car. You don't take good care of the car. You don't take your precautionary checks getting into the car. You could potentially kill the person sitting beside you or yourself. And I think instilling something like that in young people from an early age will give everyone a better quality of driving on the roads. Yeah, and maybe a greater um, awareness. Yeah, a much greater awareness rather than, like, you see people driving with N-plates, L-plates, N-plates, all of that, and their driving is actually pretty good. Yeah. It should be, ba- like, even down to the test, I think it should be based on, obviously, the the thing pre-test, what is that called? Oh, the theory um, test. Yeah, the theory test is very important because, I mean, if you don't know what the signs are, etc. An evaluation, a talk with the person and their experience of driving, their hours driving and sit in with them and watch them driving. But going back to when I was doing a test, the three-point turn and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I passed the test, but I wouldn't say I was a good driver at the end of it. It's experience. Yeah, but you knew what you had to do to pass the test. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that should happen in transition year in schools. Much, it would be way more beneficial. Yeah, I agree. And then the young adult is not allowed into the car on their own until they've passed their test or whatever. But gives them the basics, put them into a big area, like even a school playground, and let them drive a car. Yeah, or into a field yeah. like we used into to do. Into a field, yeah. like we used to do, exactly. Yeah, but there is, that, that would be kind of starting from the bottom up yeah. to get things right. And, and maybe the penalty points money should be invested back into something like that. Good idea. Siobhan, I'll have to leave it there for this morning. Thanks for talking to us.
Lovely. Thanks, All the best. Thanks, Siobhan. Uh, just Bye-bye. to bring you some reaction to it, a listener says, every young tractor driver on the road today is on the phone with 15 or 20 tonne loads and trailers behind them. What are the guards looking at? Uh, Pat also has an interesting suggestion regarding the NCT. He said the NCT should go on mileage. That's a good idea. Uh, also, it's a topic we're going to be talking about coming up on the show later on, and it's drug use and antisocial behaviour. Just to remind you, we spoke to Noel and Michelle earlier in the week about this meeting that's taking place. It's for a business and hospitality today in Hillview. And it's a conversation about drugs. No need to book on that. Just turn up. That's taking place today, 3.30 to 5 o'clock. And it's the first of a series of meetings on the topic. Uh, back to the speed issue or driving issue. A listener says there should be no penalty points. Anyone caught speeding, their car should be taken off them straight away for a month and given a fine. Uh, well, let's see what else we have. A listener says tractors can only travel at 50 kilometres per hour, so they are never speeding. Just because they're loud doesn't mean they're speeding. Our electric car at home weighs nearly two tonne. It's two years old and was bought for 62,000. Now worth 32,000 after two years. Electric cars are a scam. That's from James. Another listener says had to get... Uh, uh, an NCT, €111 on a one-year-old Jeep. That's from John. It's a complete money racket. Another listener says, we have a large influx of people living in our country that are now driving and some of them starting up taxis and others don't even have a licence. Keep those texts coming in to us, 83 311 or Emma is on the phones on 1800-938-007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. You might remember in recent days we were speaking to, Fran was speaking to James Kiley who was telling us about the It's In Our Nature exhibition that's taking place in November. Now he was putting a TIP jersey up for auction. Um, and that was Noel McGrath who kindly donated a signed number nine TIP jersey that's on auction. It's now gone up to €250. Euro. Uh, fantastic. So if you want to be in with a chance of getting that, I'd say get your bids in now. Of course, you can contact James directly, 86 if you want to place a bid. And Noel then will present the jersey at the launch of the event on Tuesday, November 7th. That's taking place at 7pm. And all proceeds going to Shorehaven Cancer Support Centre in Thurless. Best of luck with that, James, and everyone involved in it. Now, uh, continuing on the topic of drug use, and that's ahead of that meeting that's taking place in Clonmel today at Hillview at 3pm. And that's the first in a series of conversations they're having about drug use. This first conversation will be for business and hospitality. And then they'll have others then with parents involved and young people and also drug users themselves just to maybe understand better what people can do to tackle the issue. Justin joins me on the line now. Hiya, Justin. Ali, how are you? Good morning. I'm good, Justin. Tell me, what are your views? Because you're a bit sceptical, maybe, I think, that things like this can really help in the fight against drugs, are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, there seems to be, yeah, it seems like we don't want to talk about stuff, and uh, Ali, you know, and there seems to be this stigma around everything, you know, and I, I think it's just time that, as you just said, we sit down and uh, we... we you know, it's all well and good, Ali, for politicians or whatever to talk about drugs. But politicians talking about drugs is a waste of time because politicians don't know anything about drugs. They don't know how they work. They don't know what addiction feels like, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So in my opinion, what people, what, what the authorities need to do is they need to get in people who know what they're actually talking about that makes sense and and go from there, you know. Um, 
So, listen, Ali, I think uh, there's more drugs in County Tipperary now than there was 10 years ago. And Absolutely. there was more yeah. drugs in it 10 years ago than there was 10 years previous. So my point basically is that the way we're going about this is not fixing anything. If anything, the problem is getting worse, you know. So what do you think is the answer? Would you be looking at maybe decriminalising? I don't really have all the solutions, Ali, and I'm not going to pretend I do. But yes, I think some stuff needs to be decriminalised and legalised and taken out of the hands of of, of the criminal, basically, you know. Okay, what drugs then would you decriminalise then? Well, listen, that's you see, you're, you're, you're talking into a heavy conversation. Clearly yeah. we can't go legalising cocaine or heroin or whatever, you know. That stuff has to be handled and handled properly. But if we have if we have uh, uh, if we have a lot of young people in this country already consuming cocaine, which they are, as we know, has been in the news. There was a piece in the journal about it last week, the Farmers Journal. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cocaine being consumed, and it's not being consumed by uh, corner lads with their hoods up. You know, it's being consumed by people who have money who are able to afford to take cocaine because cocaine is not a cheap drug. And yeah. Do you think that the problem with cocaine is that it's you know it, it's kind of been. I'm, I'm going to sound like an old fogey saying it, but it's kind of been made cool now, and it's the recreational well, I, drug I don't of choice. Know, I don't know if "cool" is the right word, uh, Ali, but "normalized" is yeah. certainly um, a word one could use. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 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 quite normal apparently this day and age. Uh, yeah, for people to be consuming cocaine in a public house or whatever on a Saturday night, you know. So, would you be looking at decriminalising things like marijuana and things like that? Yeah, well, listen, yeah, I think I think there's a big difference in marijuana and cocaine. Uh, on the cocaine alley, I think this, if, if people, you know, we can make stuff illegal, but making stuff illegal is not going to stop people taking it. If people are going to consume uh, drugs, they're going to consume them either way, whether they're legal or illegal, you know. Yeah. So I think if we have, um, it's just my opinion that if I think we have people in this country who are going to take cocaine on a Saturday night, why don't... We, as a state, try and make that as safe as possible rather than have people going around buying bags of cocaine off a corner and they don't know what they're putting up their nose, you know? And listen, I'm not I'm not for one second advocate that people should be going around putting cocaine up their nose. Not for one second. I'm just saying they're doing it anyway. So why don't we do it in a, in a, in a controlled manner, you know? I know, but then, I mean, the nature of how we are as, as a society, I mean, you look at the attempts that were made to stop us from smoking, um, they kind of put us onto vapes. And then the, what we're seeing with vapes now is that it, it's a bigger problem in young people and teenagers than smoking probably ever was. Yeah, but who puts on the vapes, Ali? The government or whoever puts on the vapes? Uh, you know, the people who put on the vapes are the people who are making money uh, from the vapes, you know? Yeah, but that's it, what I wonder. Like, if, if we decriminalise certain drugs and make them safer, will that just be used and abused another way? Look, uh, uh, yes, I suppose that's part to uh, 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 probably prejudge, Ali. I, I'm not really sure. But what I am sure is, the way we're going about it at the moment is not fixing anything. The Americans, for example, spend billions every year on the war on drugs, and there's more cocaine coming out of South America into North America than there ever was before. You know yeah, that system is not working either. No, and on not. top of that, then Ali, we have a load of we have a load of young people all around the country locked up in Mount Joy or Clover Hill or Limerick or wherever for you know possession of this or possession of that. When in reality. Well, I don't know. There's there's three or four lads in a cell in Mount Joy at the moment. You know, cells that were made for one or two people. Mm. The place, you know, they're full of like people who, in my opinion, 
don't need to be locked up like, you know. Yeah, and another huge problem that we have as well, I mean, it's not just illegal drug use, but it's prescribed drugs and it's, the, yeah. you know, the use of codeine. I mean, how do you police... Yeah, codeine, like and, and they're talking about they're talking about uh, uh, ethanol uh, coming yeah. into the country uh, as we speak, Ali, and if that stuff gets in, well, we think heroin is bad. Ethanol is like 10 times as bad, you know. Yeah. It's crazy, like... And what do you think it all comes down to? Do we need to try and understand better why people get addicted or why people yes, use Yes, yes, yes. This is, this, 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 this comes down, uh, I won't say it quite simply, Ali, because there's nothing simple about yeah. it, but yes, this comes down to uh, society, Ali, and societal issues, you know. You go to a particular address in County Dublin, Ali, or a particular area in County Dublin, you won't have that much drug use. Go to another particular area and you'll have loads of drug use, you know. Mm. And the difference in where people are on the social ladder is the difference there, like, it's, it's quite simple, really, you know. Yeah, so it's it's comparable. So uh, the issues that a society faces is, is comparable to its level of drug use. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. 100 yeah. percent. It's interesting. And like you said, Justin, it's a complex issue. And, you know, we're very complex, very complex. Yeah. But it, it needs to be tackled, Ali. And people need to open up and talk about, you know, instead of it being there being a stigma around it and people not wanting to talk about it or whatever, you know, I, I think like lots of people are thinking, oh, not my son or whatever. But, but that's not how it works, you know. Yeah, unfortunately not. Justin, lovely to talk to you today. Okay, Ali, bye-bye. Thanks bye. for Thank taking you. the time. That's Justin talking to us there. And as I said, that meeting taking place today at Hillview Sports Centre at 3pm today and that first conversation uh, happening for businesses and hospitality owners in Clonmel as well. So it'll be interesting to see what the response is to it. Keep your texts coming in to us 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of this morning's tip today. The phone lines are open 1800 938 007 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 in relation to the NCT issue, we've had a lot of calls and texts in on this. We'll probably return to it again tomorrow. But one listener says, uh, can I get an NCT for at least four months after it's due? My car is due in November, got a date for March. Then once it passes, I will only get a cert now until 24 when it's due again. Surely they should give a cert for 12 months from the date it passes. Otherwise, you're back in the system in eight months again instead of 12. It makes zero sense. Let us know what you think would be delighted to hear from you this morning. But now it's time for the Gardaí to keep us up to speed around the county and Detective Sergeant Declan O'Carroll joins me on the line now. Declan, good morning. Good morning. Good to talk to you this morning, Declan. We're going to um, start in Clonmel and of course we've been discussing it uh, this morning already, that meeting that's happening in Hillview today. Yes, um, Sergeant Margaret Kelly asked uh, that I speak to the listeners about an action plan that Sloan to Healthcare are running. There are a range of actions within the plan and different agencies, including on Garda Shikana and services, are working on implementing these actions to fully address the area of substance misuse in Clonmel. We believe a community-based approach is required where we all contribute and support and make ourselves more aware and involved in actively making Clonmel the safe, vibrant and fun place uh, to live that it is and to address the issues that have already been identified 
uh, people involved in hospitality and business in Clonmel have been invited and are reminded that their community conversation will be held at 3pm this afternoon in Hillview Sports Club Clonmel. Community conversation for groups and clubs in Clonmel is to be held next Wednesday the 25th of October at 7.30pm at Hotel Manila, Manila, Clonmel. And then community conversations for parents and young persons will be held next month and will be advertised beforehand. Uh, this we feel is a great opportunity for people to feed into and have an impact on the action plan for substance use and indeed misuse um, in the Clonmel area going forward. Absolutely. It'd be interesting to see what the turnout is and the reaction to that is. But uh, returning to incidents then from across the county and there was a man arrested for burglary. Yes, the Gardaí arrested a man in his 20s for a burglary in Carrick and Shore in Clonmel that occurred on the 12th of October. This man was arrested in Carrick and Shore and was detained in question in relation to these two incidents. He's since been brought before the courts and uh, is currently remanded in custody on, on these matters and investigations are ongoing. And another burglary incident, and this time an appeal for witnesses. Yes, the detective Gerdy uh, attached to Clonmel are appealing for witnesses in a robbery that took place in the betting premises in Bally Lynch, Carrick and Shore on Sunday last, the 15th of October. The robbery occurred at 2.35pm uh, approximately, where a man entered the betting premises wearing a scarf pulled over his face. The man then produced a weapon and, and jumped the counter and uh, took cash before leaving the scene. Thankfully, no one was injured and there were no customers in the premises at the time, but Gerdy are appealing for anyone that has that was in the Bally Lynch area at the time to make contact with them. Another burglary this time at a supermarket in Clamel. Yes, um, Gardaí and Clamel are investigating a burglary that occurred in the early hours of the 5th of October at a supermarket in Burglary Lands. Um, Clamel, the culprits entered the store through the roof and stole cash from the premises. This is a very sophisticated type burglary and we would appreciate um, hearing from anyone who was in the area around uh, the area on the 5th of October perhaps they may have seen someone acting suspiciously or out of place on the way home from shift work or indeed travelling on the N24 in Clonmel in the early hours and may have something unu- seen something unusual so anyone who may have any information we'd like them to contact uh, Clonmel Gardaí We're going to Carrick and Shure now in a very dangerous act of vandalism Yes, this was a dangerous act of vandalism uh, that happened in Carrick and Shore area on the evening of the 13th of October in around 7.30pm. Uh, a man threw, a male threw uh, fireworks into a takeaway in Bridge Street in Carrick and Shore. The firework took light and actually caught fire on some stock inside the store. Uh, this could have been a very serious matter had the owner not acted pro- promptly and extinguished the fire. We would appeal to all parents to have a very serious uh, conversation with young people around the matter uh, and uh, around the matter of fireworks and would like to speak to anyone uh, may have any information in relation to the culprit. Next then, Declan, there's never any let-up when it comes to scams and this next one is an accommodation one. Yes, and I suppose we have examples uh, in this lot of scams throughout the county. This one uh, was when a member of the public fell foul to an accommodation fraud um, online, which was reported to Cardi and Clamell last week. It's not something that we hear uh, of too often uh, in Tipperary, but we must remember that um, lots of people and listeners with students uh, have have children that are students in various places. This person in the Indian party answered an ad on social media and thought that they were paying rent uh, over an email link that was forwarded to them. Once the money was transferred, the contact uh, then ceased. Um, the property that was reported to be rented was in County Limerick, but it is not for rent at, any, at this time. So a big word of caution to people looking for accommodation to be sure to only deal with reputable suppliers and businesses and to double and triple check what you are getting uh, into before handing over information about yourself or more importantly before transferring monies from your account. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're going down to care now and I suppose with the clocks going back, it's time to do some security checks. 
Yes, with the clock's uh, changing soon, please take the time to do a crime prevention check around your property, secure any items that may be outside, Example, for example, ladders and tools and things like that. Check your hedges, tree, uh, trees around the house, do they provide cover for people who may call? Have you secured outside sheds and houses and um, cars? Uh, take the home. There's a home security checklist challenge on the Garda website to see what you can uh, do to determine how well your home is, is, is secured. Okay, and now we're going to uh, another scam, and this time involving Revolut. Yes, this was um, a Guardian appealing for people, again, to be cautious with information they share. In recent days and weeks, people have received phone calls from uh, persons um, claiming to be from Revolut and claiming that they are to help uh, with an issue um, with the person's account. Unfortunately, very significant amounts of money have been lost as people have trusted these callers, downloaded apps, certain apps, which allowed access to not only their Revolut account, but also to their phones, resulting in the money being taken from their their Revolut account and other bank accounts that they may have. If you're ever contacted by any bank or company, please contact them back on a known number you have for the bank company and do not give any details to, to a person on the phone. Do not click links for custom... Uh, custom charges, delivery fees. Please be cautious, especially with, with people likely to be doing online shopping and getting deliveries coming up to um, Christmas time. Absolutely. Now we're going to Tip Town and the theft of a van. Yes, um, uh, this happened at 8.45pm uh, on the 15th of December. A Peugeot partner van was stolen from St. Michael Street in Tip Town. Um, at 2am on the 16th of October, this van was recovered in the uh, in in an area of Limerick City. Three people were arrested in respect to this uh, incident, and Tip, Gard- Tip Town Gardaí are appealing for anyone um, who, who may have any information in respect to the taking of the, of the van. Another theft in Tip Town. This time it's fuel. Yes, um, and I suppose uh, when the nights are getting darker and it's getting colder, these types of tests will be on the rise. This this uh, had a good outcome. It, between 11pm uh, uh, overnight on the 5th and 10am on the 6th, the quantity of diesel was stolen from a tank uh, which was in a yard in the Dundrum Road area of Tip Town. Following an, inve- an investigation conducted by um, Tipperary Gardaí, one person was arrested and charged in respect to the theft uh, and, um, and was brought before the courts. And again, we're just... Letting the public be aware that these types of offences are likely to increase uh, given the time of year we're heading into. Absolutely. We're going to Dano Hill now for a house break-in. Yes, this happened um, overnight uh, on the ninth into the, uh, between the 9th and the 13th of October. A house was broken into in Dano Hill, Hill area. Um, a quantity of cash and a television were stolen. Again, anyone with any information is asked to contact Tipperary Town Gardaí. And staying in poor old Dano Hill then, there was a theft from a church there as well. Yes, this occurred between the 10th and uh, the 11th of October. A collection box, uh, which was in the local church in Dono Hill, um, was damaged. And again, Tipperary Gardaí are appealing for anyone who may have witnessed anything or seen anyone suspicious in or around that area at, the, at that time to contact uh, them in Tipperary Town Guard Station. The next one then, another incident in Tip Town of a car being broken into. Yes, and we've had a, quite a few cars across the county being broken into uh, in the last couple of weeks. Um, this car was broken into while parked on the Rosanna Road area of Tipperary Town, a handbag, uh, and the contents w- were stolen. Um, the handbag was found a short distance away, but the contents had been taken. Again, uh, there's an appeal for anyone who may have seen or uh, witnessed anything to contact Tipperary Gardaí. Declan, we're going to Thurlis now, and unfortunately another uh, vehicle break-in. Yes, the team continues in relation to theft from cars. Um, this four cars on, were broken into in Boris Lee on the twelfth of uh, the twelfth of October. These cars were being were entered in the early hours of the morning, and items stolen from them. Guardian appealing for anyone who saw anything suspicious in the Slevin. 
uh, area or uh, the Riverview area to contact Templemore Garda Station. Garda, in relation to this incident, thankfully there's a bit of progress being made um, uh, and uh, it's hopeful that the rest will be made shortly. And to Balananti now, Declan, tell us about this incident with the horse. Yes, um, this was uh, following a complaint of a neglected horse in the Balananti area um, on the 14th of October. Gardaí from Torlis went out to, to the scene and one horse was uh, seized and uh, uh, taken away. Again, investigations in relation to this are at an early stage and we're hoping that we find out who is the owner of the horse. OK, we're going to kill an all next for an appeal on a robbery. Yes, again, a, a robbery that occurred um, and Gardaí are seeking the public's help. Uh, this happened at a business premises in Killinall on 12th of October when a man entered the premises shortly after 8pm and made threats to staff. Uh, Gardaí are appealing for anyone who may have any witnessed anything suspicious in the area around that time uh, to contact um, Turles Garda Station. We're going to Nina now, Declan, and the concerning case of a number of Gardaí who have been assaulted recently. Yes, I suppose during the course of uh, effecting an arrest on the fourth of the tent in Nina, two Gardaí were allegedly assaulted. One woman was arrested on a file in relation to that, being forwarded to the DPP. And then in a separate incident that occurred uh, yesterday, uh, two Gardaí were again assaulted by uh, a, a man um, during the course of an arrest. Again, uh, a file will be forwarded to the DPP uh, in relation to this incident. And tell us about the patrol car then that was damaged in Ross Grain. Yes, two separate incidents of uh, patrol cars being damaged and one attempt to damage the car. Um, in this, in the first incident on the 11th of October in the early hours of the morning in Ross Grey, uh, the window of the patrol car was damaged. Um, one man was arrested and later charged with a criminal damage offence in relation to that. Then in a separate incident, another guard car was damaged in Nina on the 13th, um, just gone. Uh, one man was charged with a criminal damage in relation to this um, incident. Now we're going to Ross Gray for an incident of criminal damage. Yes, um, there were a number of criminal damage incidents that occurred in the last two weeks which are under investigation in and around Nina. Um, in this incident, a house in Air Hill, Ross Gray, had a window broken on the 9th of the 10th at about 6.30pm and Gardaí are appealing for any witnesses in relation to this incident. Unfortunately, a number of cars were interfered with at a business premises on the Burr Road in Ross Gray between the 9th and the 10th of October. Again, Gardaí are harvesting CCTV and investigations are ongoing in relation to this. Then in Nina on the 13th of October, a bulldozer that was parked up at a building site St. Conlon's Road and Nina had its window damaged by rocks. Um, again, Gardaí are appealing for any witnesses in relation to this incident. And again, people are being warned to be on the lookout for fraud and scams. Yes, this is, I suppose, a different type of fraud um, than the last two that we discussed. Different methods are being used by, by the fraudsters at this time. People are receiving phone calls purporting to be from various delivery companies and people are engaging with these individuals and then take, uh, these individuals manage to take over accounts belonging to the injured parties and take money from, from these accounts. And then in another in incident, a lady got a text from who she thought was her daughter and ended up sending a large amount of money to the fraudsters. And I'd just like to remind your listeners that any phone number can be cloned now, so mm. be very wary. Uh, and just an example, I myself received a text purporting to be from a bank saying that there was a problem with my account. I deleted this, this text straight away, and I, I wish everyone would do the same. Yeah, and I suppose if they have any doubt, just to go into the bank maybe itself and ask is probably the easiest way around it. Definitely, yeah. Uh, we're looking next to Newport and Ross Gray for a number of thefts from cars. Yeah, a number of thefts again, and this has been um, throughout the county um, in relation to these. A number of thefts are under investigation. Uh, 
including ones in Newport and in Roscrae and Carrig Hill area of Roscrae uh, overnight between the 9th and the 10th a van was entered and items stolen from it and then two cars were entered in Craig Newport on the 16th of October items were stolen from each car Gertie would like to remind people to be very security conscious and lock their cars and ensure items are not visible to the public from within um, their cars when they're parked up And finally this morning then Declan a number of vehicles stolen then in the north of the county Yes, over the last two weeks, two cars have been stolen. The first near Ballon Hinch was a Jeep that was taken on the 11th of October. This, this has not been recovered yet. Um, the second car that was stolen uh, was stolen in Newport between um, 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. a number of days ago. Uh, this was later recovered, burned out in County Limerick. Again, investigations are ongoing in relation to these uh, incidents. OK, thanks for that, Declan. And I assume if anyone has any information on anything we've spoken about this morning, they can contact any guard the station. Yes, if they contact any Garda station or the confidential Garda number. Great, Declan. Great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Uh, this morning, you can call or text us 1800-938-007 or text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Sorry, I'm very distracted. I was just looking at junior cert results being sent to me there in WhatsApp. They're all right. Well done to everyone who's getting results this morning. Very exciting time for them. And look, well done. No matter how well you did or didn't do, well done to you. It's a tough old, it's a tough old time for you, but look, you're doing great. Well done. Now, the priest, the people and the light. It's a seminar that looks at the impact that Canon Hayes had on rural development. It's taking place in Bansha this Saturday. Martin Quinn is a community activist and organiser of the event. He joins me on the line now. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Ali. How are you doing? I'm great, Martin. Good to talk to you. Tell us about this seminar and what people can expect from it. Okay, well, the priest, the people and the light, as you mentioned, the priest being Canon Hayes, uh, the people, I suppose, the people of the land, that's Mwinton Atira, and the light being rural electrification. So um, we're having this seminar, and and really it's to highlight the impact that Canon Hayes had on rural development. And during his lifetime, I mean, he was born in Maroo, County Limerick, born in a land league hut, and uh, ordained to the priesthood, and from there, I suppose, the story uh, developed because uh, his contribution to rural life, I think, is, is outstanding. And he was a man well before his time. Mm. So this seminar will be looking at various aspects of his life and um, will be looking at, at how Canon Hayes, I suppose, engineered different things uh, for rural Ireland, how he engaged communities and how his uh, far-reaching thinking is uh, still in train today. And we have a number of speakers that will be speaking on different topics. We have uh, Dr Barry Shepherd, who studied and lectured at Queen's University in Belfast. And in fact, his PhD was focused on Canon Hayes. So he'll be speaking on Winton Atira's Rural Weeks, bringing the world to Ireland and Ireland to the world. Uh, Kirna Hoare, who is an archivist uh, at the University of Galway, will be speaking on the Winton Atira collection. And all of the Winton Atira, um, uh, all of its papers and its uh, books and 
minute books and different uh, papers from the national presidents, they are all part of the archive in Galway. So the archivist uh, will be bringing down some of the archive and he'll be speaking on different aspects of it, like um, the, the, the different uh, literature, I suppose, which was published over the years. Yeah. And we'll also have Bernard O'Connell from Bancha. Bernard will be speaking about rural electrification and the appliances. He has He's a vintage collector. He's uh, formerly a uh, staff member with the ESB, and, and he's a whole collection of uh, different items that were used um, at the time of rural electrification. And I myself, I'm, I'm a former national president of the organisation, so I'll be speaking, I suppose, uh, about in the footsteps of Canon Hayes because uh, I'm a native of Bansha and Canon Hayes uh, was parish priest in Bansha and he is uh, interred there. So I'll be giving my perspective on that. Martin, I always found it fascinating about Canon Hayes, the fact that he had such a huge influence on Irish society, particularly rural society, but yet he, uh, I suppose, effectively missed one of the, the big periods of Irish history, which was the Irish Revolution, because he wasn't even in the country at the time. I always find that fascinating. Yes, indeed, but of course he was He was uh, uh, also based in as a curate in, in Liverpool, yeah. before he, he returned to Ireland. And so he saw firsthand, you know, from the Irish in Liverpool. And, and uh, I mean, he went even on, on, on a bit of a strike at Wormwood Scrubs in, in, uh, in, in, in uh, England uh, because some of the Irish, including relatives of, the, of his own, were in jail there. And uh, he went, he formed a kind of a group which used to meet outside Warhamwood Scrubs every evening. And they used to recite the rosary. And it was all uh, to, to highlight the way the Irish in, in England were being treated. Mm. I always find fascinating as well the fact that um, you know, his relationship with Mussolini as well, and the fact that he was granted an audience with him. Yes. And, and you see, there was a huge, um, when he studied in Paris, in, in France, I, I suppose, that really gave him a huge uh, international perspective. Mm. And he spent a lot of his time when he was in Paris um, meeting people and uh, finding out what life was like and traveling, you know, in in the country. And uh, so, therefore, he, he put himself in a great position where he had uh, made a lot of contacts through his time in Paris. Yeah. And then with the foundation then of Winton Adira, I think the early 30s, that was Martin. What legacy has that had, in your opinion? Well, I think the, the Winton Adira um, legacy is huge. And I mean, it's very evident today in a lot of the uh, different aspects that Winton Adira are involved with, particularly uh, one immediately that comes to mind for everybody would be the community alert. Yeah, you know, uh, which is in every village and town I'd say in the country, and uh, that's one of the, the key things of, of Winton Atira. And you know, when Canon Hayes organised things, he organised social weeks and vocational education and summer schools. And uh, this, when he came to Bancher, then. He's, um, 
Bantry became kind of uh, as as a, a place that was called the model parish because he introduced a number of initiatives and uh, Bantry was one of the first rural parishes in the country to have rural electrification. So this year we're celebrating 75 years of rural electrification. So that's going to be part of the seminar as well on Saturday. Yeah. So that seminar is called The Priest, The People and The Light. Do people need to register for that, Martin, or can they just turn up on the day? Well, uh, the venue is Temple Nairi Church, which is a beautiful venue just just beside the Roman Catholic Church in, in, in Bancha. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's a fairly compact venue. So we're asking people to, to register. Now, it's open to everybody. And, and they'll find it very interesting because the speakers will be speaking uh, around the different aspects. And I think that people will have a huge interest in it. And uh, what I'd say to people is, if at all possible, to register. Um, there's uh, a portal on Eventbrite. Eventbrite. So people, if people log on to Eventbrite and just type in Canon Hayes or if people just type in the the priest, the people, and and the light, it'll come up straight away. Okay. And it's just a case of of registering so that they have a seat, yeah. you know. And if people can't register, look, come on on the day, and we'll try and fit you in. Absolutely, Martin. Thank you so much for telling us about it this morning. We wish you all the best with it. I'm sure and it'll it, be it, well attended. It, yeah, it's eleven o'clock. Masses at ten o'clock in Banshee Church, and the seminars starts at 11. Perfect. Thanks for that, Martin. All the best with the talk to you Okay, thank you. We have the details on that as well. If you're looking to register on that, we'll have the Eventbrite details. You can just give Emma a ring and she will have them to hand. Now, back to the phones. One of our contributors to the show, Angie McGrath, was in touch with some grave concerns regarding her role as a carer. She joins me on the line now. Angie, good morning. Hi, Ellie. How are you? I'm good, Angie. Good to talk to you. But tell me what's been happening and what, what are your concerns? I'll tell you, Ellie, it was just in relation to the healthcare workers uh, possibly going on strike um, yesterday and it was averted. But I just wanted to make people aware, um, I was a carer for eight years for my mother, don't regret a minute of it, but uh, she recently had to go into a nursing home because her needs were greater than I could um, take care of. So what I'm just trying to make people aware of is I am obviously now not a carer anymore. But because I was caring for eight years, I wasn't doing any courses or anything like that to build to upskill. So I possibly would have to go on job seekers allowance. Now, that's fine, right? What I didn't mean, obviously, as a carer, you're not entitled to fuel allowance, which is hilarious. (laughs) But yeah, it's clear you have no entitlement to fuel allowance. So I signed on, I have to sign on for job seekers allowance, and um, I told that you have to be on job seekers for 12 months before you get fuel allowance at all. So obviously you're not in line for fuel allowance or the bonus they announced in the budget or anything else like that. Um, also, uh, because I'm not a carer now, I won't be entitled to the bonus they're giving carers either before Christmas. Mm. So I wouldn't be entitled to that. And also, I don't until I sign on and they have a look at it. They don't know if you'd be entitled to the Christmas bonus or the January bonus that they're giving out. Either. Oh my god! So basically, they 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 like carers are treated like dust anyway. This this is the thing. So what I was trying to say, what I wanted to get across to people is, even though the government consider carers a social welfare payment, 
it's only social welfare, so they can pay you six fifty an hour as as uh, as your wages, so to speak. It's uh, two thirty six a week, and that's based on thirty nine hours. Now, there's no care only working thirty nine hours, as you can imagine, twenty four seven job. But based on that, they give you six fifty per hour. So to circumvent you trying to take them to court to get minimum wage, they call it a social welfare payment. But it's only a social welfare payment until you, you're finished being a carer and then it doesn't count for anything as regards social welfare. So you're not entitled to anything, not a thing. It's but terrible, even, isn't it? Even, as a, even if it does count as a social welfare payment while you're mm. a carer, you still can't get the fuel allowance. And that makes well, no you sense. Can't get, you can't get fuel allowance. You're not entitled to it because basically what they say is the person that you're caring for is possibly entitled to it. Oh. But sure, that doesn't make any difference to your no. house or your, you know, so that's what they do there. So I'm just trying to make people aware of eight years as a carer, coming up to Christmas, they, all these bonuses they announced, the whole lot. Now, like, it's not like I want to sit on job seekers, Ali, because I yeah. certainly don't. But having been a carer for eight years, obviously you don't build up much savings working for that amount of money. So you have to retrain to do something. So you'd have to have some sort of a payment to keep the show on the road in the meantime. And you're basically entitled to zero, entitled to nothing. I just find it. I couldn't believe it until, and I just wanted to make people aware of it. You know, with with the strike that was going to go on the other day, that they're looking for a payment in line with with, with, um, uh, government workers and everything else. What they're doing to actual family carers and home carers is absolutely atrocious, atrocious. And I just basically wanted to get the word out there. Now, there's one listener that's saying you can keep your carer's allowance for 12 weeks after your caring role finishes, but still, 12 weeks doesn't that's give you right. a lot of 12, time. That's 12 weeks, so basically what they're doing, from what I can see, is what they do with the 12 weeks is that so you can get the fair deal in place for the person that you're caring for, because obviously, if you went out working immediately, you're not available to sort out the fair deal and to do, I mean, that's the that anyone that sorted that out can tell you that. Is it awful, Angie? Unbelievable. Now, to be fair, there's a lady in the office in Clamel who's absolutely exceptional. She's she's standing her head for you. She's so good to help. Um, But having said that, you still have to go through the whole process and get the five million forms and get this signed and that signed and houses valued and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, but um, as I said, the the lady in the office is is exceptional. She's out on her own, but, but it still doesn't stop what, all the stuff that you have to do anyway and, and as that, yeah. that 12 weeks but that 12 week literally only covers that and then after that you go and you do whatever tough look good luck off yeah. you go they don't and Angie you're doing that at a time then where like I can imagine for you after eight years of, of being mm. a carer like that transition yes. then after that of you know your whole life is consumed by this person and what, what's, what do I have to do next my next appointment and then all of a sudden you're you're kind of out of it it's very oh, well you strange. are you weren't because when even when the person's in a nursing home you're still responsible to bring them for all yeah. their appointments and all that sort of stuff but you're just not an official carer anymore you know yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I just don't know why we don't appreciate carers more in this country. I just I wanted people to, to see what happens uh, when you are taken off a carers, what happens. And the, the the budget seemed like, oh, they were doing everything for carers. They actually made it so that you get even less. 
<laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. So that's all I wanted to get out there, Ali. No, I appreciate that, Angie. Um, I mean, if you've any message for for anyone listening, I'm, I, I know we always have the Tipperary TDs listening to us on the show. What would you say to them? I would say, with a heart and a half, and as I said, I don't regret a minute of taking care of my mother. Don't be a carer. Whatever you do, don't be a family carer. Let the government take care of the person for the couple of hundred thousand it costs a year and just keep on a career path because you'll literally be treated like dirt. God, that's a terrible indictment in this country. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's the truth. (laughs) It sounds very harsh and loads of people take care for kids and care for parents and everything else. I would literally let it up to the government because they will treat you like a piece of dirt. Angie, I know you do a lot of work as well in Cashel with the the Feral Cats Project as well. How has that been going? That's the same as ever, Ali. We're we're actually inundated this year with with kittens for some reason. Loads of people got cats, of course, during COVID and stuff. Didn't neuter them, so we're absolutely, absolutely inundated. I've never seen as many kittens. Even before COVID, we hadn't as many kittens. Wow. Um, people on to us constantly. And what people are on to us constantly about at the moment as well as dogs. Now, we don't have any facilities for yeah. our cats, but we've no facilities at all for dogs. Um, the councils are cracking down on the restricted breeds, and they don't want them in council estates and stuff. And so everyone's trying to um, get, you know, they unfortunately have to get their dogs homes, but there are no homes because obviously those restricted breeds aren't welcome in a lot of places. So it makes it very hard for rescues, extremely hard for rescues to take them on because where are they going to go afterwards? And again, very little support for organisations like yours. Very little. Oh, none. None at all. Volunteers, so yeah. we have no, we've no support. Just our own supporters, who are very good to us. All local people here, we do work for them, and they support us in return. But I mean, for the likes of, and I don't want to mention a particular rescue, but any of the rescues, any of the local rescues or the national rescues, they're under severe pressure. And um, again, they get a bit of a grant, but you're entirely covering the electricity to keep the places open, let alone vet bills and fuel bills and everything else you know it's, it's a scandal it oh, is a scandal it's awful and I know you're you're yeah. doing great work yourself Michelle are doing great work in Cashel so well done we do our, be- we do our best daddy yeah well listen Johnny Mac uh, texted in there he said you should be up in the doll oh so there you I'm go I'm telling you that's next your next stop. challenge next <laughs> I'll retrain. I'll retrain and head for Dublin, Ali. <laughs> but you won't have a problem getting paid there anyway, Angie. Oh, that's I'm sure. telling you, you won't ever be caught in the loop of, oh. of, of, of what they do to people. Well, look, Ali, Angie, thanks, thanks not at all. Thanks for letting thanks us know a million. that. Appreciate it. Thanks. thanks, Angie. Bye. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. Liam was in touch with us. He said, great interview with Angela. She does Trojan work personally as a carer, but also highlighting issues for others with disability and mobility issue, also with the Feral Cap Project, along with the other volunteers. It's a project that really needs to be supported. Absolutely, Liam. I was delighted to go out with them actually one morning. And the work that they do is just incredible. Um, and often thankless 
unfortunately, but just an incredible organisation in Cashel run by Angie Michelle and the other volunteers there absolutely deserves a lot of support. If you're on Facebook, I think Angie is there. They fundraise completely themselves. They often will sell knickknacks and things just to uh, raise a bit of money. So if you can do anything at all to support them, please do. Uh, keep those texts coming in to us 083 or 1800 But now it's time for gardening and delighted to be joined as always by our gardening expert Alton Nesbitt. Alton, good morning. Good morning, Alison. We're going to start this morning, Alton, with trees and the type of trees to plant in your garden. So I suppose the main point of it is to figure out what you want the tree for. Is it, you know, a focal point or is it to frame? Exactly. Um, I, I love this time of year because the trees really come into their own, especially with the autumn colours and things like that, 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 that are, are, are um, starting to have a fantastic display at this time of year. But really, it's, it's a good time of year to think about trees, really, um, because there's such a wide variety of them. Um, really, you want the type of tree that will suit the situation that you want, or um, that if you want to frame the garden, or even to, um, let's say, create a kind of focal point in the garden as well. So, I mean, there's, there's lovely trees, let's say, um, mainly, mainly kind of, kind of uh, almost like stately trees, these large, big trees that, that have a, a, a really fantastic um, uh, presence uh, that, that they hold. So things like uh, I like um, are the cedar, cedar Atlanticas. Cedar Atlantica glauca is a lovely blue spruce, a lovely blue, blue um, pine tree that um, uh, grows quite big now, nearly about 200 feet high. But this has this lovely weep, uh, weeping habit to it um, and lovely blue colour from it. You often see it if you have um, uh, Downton Abbey, <laughs> you know, wow. that programme. Yeah. You know, the, Downton, the sweeping driveway up Beautiful, to, yeah. to the house. And then you have these lovely cedars uh, growing at either side of the house. So you don't really see the house until you're, you're right up to it. So it gives a lovely, um, almost a, a, a magical um, driveway going up to it. Or a lot of people would use, um, let's say you often hear of a, a, a lime tree avenue. Mm. And, and like uh, lime tree avenue is, is quite a nice thing to do as well or, or, or up along the, the, the driveway. So that um, it almost, as you're driving up t- towards the house, it, it, it almost gives us a kind of a magical yeah. uh, view. It's almost like a tunnel going through. And then suddenly you're opened up to, 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 to the house itself. And see, with, with lime trees, they're quite easy to grow. There's several different varieties, of course, that you can use. Um, uh, Tilia cordata is the normal one that, that, that you would you'd put up, up a, a driveway. And that is quite an easy tree to grow because you can prune it back as hard as you like. Um, and now here in Templemore, we, we have them going up towards the church. And they really make a, a lovely avenue going up, up towards um, uh, the church in, in, uh, along, um, let's say, the roadway. Uh, going up to it, so it, it kind of makes the the church as a focal point in in the town. You know, so it, it makes lovely them um, display going up along. Other trees then that are quite good as well, and especially at this time of year, are the oak trees. Now I love this this one, Quercus rubra. It's a lovely um, autumn um, uh, leaf on it. Turns lovely bright red in the autumn time. Again, quite a big, large, stately tree. So you need uh, uh, plenty of room for it uh, to grow. So if you have a large garden, it's a fantastic tree to have. Um, let's sit down at the end, end of the garden so that you can allow it to grow to the full size. Uh, and then it has that lovely um, almost mushroom-shaped um, uh, head on it, which, which grows quite nice and round. But then again, has that brilliant autumn colour in the autumn time, uh, that red colour. Another tree then, again, is the mulberry tree. It's the, the black mulberry. Yeah, beautiful. And, and 
it is a lovely tree because it's quite unusual. And there's, al- there's also a, um, a nursery rhyme to go with. Yeah. You, you dance around the mulberry tree. I mean, and I, I love that because it's, it's quite a nice tree. It has this almost um, uh, really gnarly um, yes. uh, shape to it, yeah. kind of almost a gothic shape to it. And then kind of these large, large, uh, or large branches that come off it. Uh, and as well as that, then it has lovely little the, the mulberry uh, fruits off it, which are edible as well, almost like a strawberry that, that grows on it. Another, another good one then is the um, a strawberry clarny tree, the, um, the, which is particularly nice as well. You often see it down in Kerry. Um, and that grows quite easily as well. Lovely evergreen, evergreen um, uh, tree. Mm. But other trees then for focal points, things that are are good to draw the eye down uh, to the garden. Let's say as a, as a centre point or something like that is a thing called um, the, the weeping pear. Um, and I, I particularly like that. Pyroxifolia is obviously this weeping, almost like a, a willow shaped, uh, weeping shape to it. And it has this lovely silver foliage to it as well, which is particularly nice. Small little pears do appear on it. But again, because of the silver foliage on it, it draws the eye down to the garden because everything else is, is dark green. Mm. The silver really, really kind of pops out. Uh, uh, as good at the end of a pathway or something like that as well. Other one it was particularly nice at this time of year is the Rabinia frisia. It's a lovely golden uh, locust tree. It's a quite a nice one. But bright uh, yellow foliage from it as well. Um, Cystrophilium is another, uh, the Judas trees used to be called. Um, and that, that has a um, lovely autumn colour from it at this time of the year as well. Or a thing called Taxodium or the Ginkgo or the Lark, the, the, the Larch. Um, these are lovely um, deciduous conifers that have fantastic autumn colour through them as well um, at this time of the year. Other things, let's say for a more formal garden, what's nice are the sky rockets. Um, these are very upright, almost like pillars. Um, the sky rocket, the juniper sky rocket, or even the Tuya emeralds, if you have the smaller garden, they're, they're quite nice. Um, or Juniper communis hibernica, which is almost like um, uh, pillars in the garden. So if you have a kind of a formal garden, the box hedging or even the box balls or even the tofu shape, um, the, the Juniper hibernica is particularly nice to incorporate into that kind of very formal look, at, look of a garden. It almost makes a kind of an entrance into the garden as well, either as a gateway or along a path um, to, to, to frame it almost. Um, yeah. They're particularly good for that. Sounds beautiful. You know what you shouldn't get is a palm tree because we've one out the back and it breaks my heart all the time. Any wisp of wind and you have those long kind of leaves off it and if they get caught in a lawnmower, forget about it because they're yeah. really yeah, hard. No, yeah, and that's why, see, it's good to have, I mean, like some, some palm trees, uh, you can get enough of needles from them and that. But really, if you go for things that, that are more like the the um, Clarny strawberry tree with lovely evergreen um, and lovely full full body to it, really. Um, or even um, uh, there's lovely, it's almost like a hedge, really. It's a thing called um, the taxis, the yew, um, which is particularly nice as well. That's a lovely evergreen uh, as, a, as, a, as a screen. Or even at the base of the garden, it has lovely uh, dense foliage on it. Um, and quite an easy one to, um, to to maintain as well. And I like the yew trees, the old the old yeah. Irish yew. They, 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 they often see them in graveyards, the, the upright shape to them, or even the ordinary taxis baccata, which is the, the hedging type one, which is particularly good as well. Quite slow growing, but but very very good dense foliage and and fantastic for privacy, um, and and and. Um, uh, uh, very good screen, uh, let's say, at the, the, the boundary uh, of the garden as well. Laburnum was very popular for a while as well. Is that still as popular? Yes, it is, because Laburnum, Laburnum Bosciae is probably one of the nicest trees in the springtime yeah. or late, late spring. It has this lovely long, pea-like flowers from it, lovely gold, golden rain is the common name of it. And, you're, and I actually like Laburnum Bosciae because it's, it's lovely as uh, trained 
in an archway. Yeah. Um, um, and you have these long pendulous flowers that come up, come from, come from it. And even if you have the um, the the, uh, the purple globes of the um, ariums, the the the, the uh, onion mm. um, is particularly nice with that. Um, now the the, the laburnum vasii, um or even the chassis, they're all they're quite poisonous. Um, if you have livestock or anything like that, so it's very very important. Just have it as an ornamental. Plant yeah. really, so so that they're in the garden and um, it doesn't have any effect on any any uh, livestock or anything like that. Very easy easy plant to grow, uh, the Bernabossia. Um Again, you can train it over arches or even have it as a single tree um, as a lovely focal point as well because it has a brilliant bright yellow foliage um, in the springtime. It's particularly good. And with trees, Alton, I mean, I know obviously you should look after them uh, when you first plant them, but do you all do they always need looking after? Do they get to a stage where they're okay and they can be kind of ignored? really, really after five years? Um, really, a tree has has, has um, after planting it, it has good enough root system on it to really take care of itself, and and it uh, it has a good foundation that that um, uh, it really really reminds itself. And some trees. Are a bit more hungry than others, and and it's a good idea is to feed them um, let's say every couple of years, just give them a good boost. Um, or even if you find trees, especially fruit trees, or um, some some of the two years as well, some of the uh, arms, you often kind of get a little bit rusty looking or, or that. It's a good idea is to give them just a, a light feed of um, uh, the uh, Epsom salt. Uh, and that just gives them good disease resistance to uh, rusts and, and fungal attack as well. And it also gives them a great boost. It makes it lovely, much richer and healthier foliage to it. Um, you often find, um, especially with the, the um, uh, Fatinia red robins, they tend to get very rusty uh, this time of year. And I love the lollipop sticks of those. They're almost like little miniature trees yeah. that you ha- have in the garden. But again, they tend to get a little bit rusty at this time of year. But a little, little dusting of veteran salt will actually green them up and make them a lot, a lot healthier looking. And then that encourages the lovely foliage, lovely red foliage in the springtime. So um, uh, much healthier looking and much better looking plant altogether. Things like the rhododendrons, azaleas, camellias could benefit from that as well. Uh, even giving them a light feed of uh, sequester of iron or, or any liquid seaweed-based feed is very good. Um, to give them at this time of the year, just to give them a good, healthy, healthy vigour and um, good foliage on them over the winter months. Okay, the questions are rolling in. We'll start them. Uh, what do you recommend to get rid of moss in the lawn? It's gone very spongy to walk on. Yeah, really at this time of the year, the best thing we just use is a, is a hygiene weed feed muscular. And this is a very good product, really. It'll do, uh, it comes in a 15 kg bag and it'll do about 750 square meters. So it'll do quite a large area. So this comes in granulated form. So if you have a lawn spreader, set it to number three and do it at a walking pace up and down the lawn. And that will, that will get rid of any, any moss that's in your lawn. Now, if it's very spongy with it, um, now it'll burn back the, the moss that's in the moss. So it's very important to rake out as much of that patch as possible. And then sow number two grade lawn seed in those patchy areas so that it'll thicken up very well so that you'll, all, you'll only have, have grass and no, no moss coming back. Um, so really, the hygiene weed feed moss is probably the best thing to use at this time of the year. Okay, listener says, why are the white flowers of my peace lily turning? Yeah, sometimes with, um, uh, with the, the peace lily, um, you get a thing called blinding on, on the, the, the flower stalk itself. So this is what happens is that the, the flower doesn't open up properly or you get a, kind of a burnt uh, tinge on, on the leaf itself, on the flower itself. So if you feed that, there's a thing called, uh, it's a it's Nutra One feed. This is a fantastic 
um, high potash feed that forces indoor plants as well as um, bedding plants to produce loads of flowers for you. And just put a, a, a couple of drops of that into the saucer um, as, you're, as you're feeding your, your um, uh, peace lilies. And this and remove any um, damaged uh, stalks off the peace lily, cause them right back to the base of it. And then that will force it to produce more beautiful flowers for you by feeding it with the neutral one feed um, at the base of it. Just, just, um, uh, and the, the thing with um, peace lilies, they like a dapple shaded area. Don't have them in full sun, unless they're near the, near the window where they're getting scorched by the sunlight. So have them in a kind of a dapple, like a hallway is ideal for the, the peace lilies. Um, so they're, they're not in, in direct sunlight. Okay, we're just running out of time, but I'll bring you the last one. Is it possible to take pyracantha cuttings to fill gaps in pyracantha hedges? Uh, it is, and, and it's a good, a good time to do it. And you always take a heel cutting. Uh, from pyracantha. I'd take about a, a pencil thickness cutting from it, a lo- long vegetative growth uh, fr- from the main main plant and, and pull pull the stem off the, the, the main plant so that you have a heel cutting on it. Remove the, the, the tapered bit of, of the, the base of the cutting. Dip it into a little bit of rooting hormone. Um, uh, tap off any excess uh, rooting hormone off, off the base of the cutting and then push it directly into to where you want it to grow. Now remove the lower leaves, of course, and, and needles um, at, at the base of the cutting so it goes down easier into, into the ground. Um, now they take about and, and, and cut off the top part of any soft growth um, uh, off the cutting as well. And now and that, that takes about the whole year for that to root. So um, be patient, um, and then by uh, next autumn, you'll see it uh, well-established and and, and growing quite well. Great. Thanks for that, Alton. We'll have to leave it there for this week. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, as always. Thank you. Thanks, Sultan. I know there's a few questions I didn't get to today. We'll bring them forward to next week. So uh, we'll put them to Alton when he's on again next Wednesday morning. That's it for this morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks to Emma on the phone. Stephen is up next with the Time Tunnel. Then Owen taking you through the afternoon. We're back with you again tomorrow morning from 9am. Until then, have a great day. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.